0: previously on The Other Castle. And Ken has been extremely diplomatic when talking about Bioshock 2. He turned it down because he just didn't want to return to Rapture. And he felt that if the Bioshock series was going to continue, it would need to be more like the Final Fantasy series in that the sequels are not connected to one another. So he decided he's going to go off and show them what he meant. But that's a story for another time. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle.
1: Oh, hello, and welcome!
0: Oh, yes, Merry Christmas to you all, Happy Holidays. This is a special drop from The Other Castle to you all.
1: Yeah, we miss you! Uh, we are working on season 8, and I am very excited to say it will be rolling out in February.
0: Yes, this coming February. So, We are The Other Castle. We do the plot, lore, and more of video games.
1: That's all the the behind-the-scenes drama, and then what, the actual game drama.
0: And if this is your first time listening to us, you can go to our website, theothercastlepodcast.com.
1: That's theothercastlepodcast.com. This is my normal speaking voice.
0: You can do all sorts of fun things over there. You can listen to every one of our episodes. You can sign up for our Patreon, which is just $2 a month. We drop monthly episodes over there, even during the off-season.
1: Which means there's going to be one coming out that partners with this episode. We're
0: going to be doing the DLC to this game, which this week's episode is Bioshock Infinite.
1: It's about damn time!
0: Right, we're going to close out the series of Bioshock, for now anyway.
1: We've been debating when to do this.
0: Yeah, right, just, you know what, just figured we'd give it to you guys as a Christmas treat.
1: I think that Bioshock Infinite was the last time... We went to a midnight release of something.
0: Yeah, I think so.
1: And not even just a game, just in general. Right. <laughs> I don't leave the house now. No. You know why? Everything's on fucking HBO Max.
0: Yeah, it's pretty easy just to stay home now.
1: Yeah. Also, I spent so much fucking money on like living somewhere.
0: <laughs> why wouldn't
1: I take advantage of my biggest expense every month?
0: That's very true.
1: I'd be hanging out in this house all day, finding new places to sit. <laughs> it's fucking <laughs> great. <laughs> But no, I remember going to the Burbank Victory Center GameStop with you at midnight, and I didn't know what Bioshock was at all. At all, no. And you're like, it's a video game where you're a man. I was like, that's crazy.
0: You hadn't moved to Rapture yet at that point.
1: No, I was not a citizen of Rapture. I was still on my visa. (laughs) Uh, But it was a lot of the same shape a person and like archetype a dude that was in line for Bioshock 3 in Burbank
0: okay yeah (laughs) Uh, you certainly fit in I did
1: I was the accessory to the event and it was cool
0: and I was really mad because the line was really long and I said would you kindly move it along and nobody laughed no one cared nobody cared
1: Do you think someone had done that five minutes before you got in line, like, to death, though?
0: Oh, maybe. Shit.
1: (laughs) We might have gotten there late, and everyone's like, ugh,
0: the 15th person already.
1: Like, you could have gotten decked for that, to be real. Yeah,
0: that's fair. Maybe I was just being annoying.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's your personality. (laughs) Who knows?
0: Well, yeah, I'm really excited to, like, finish out the Bioshock series, just because, you know, it's become such a staple on our show.
1: Oh, totally. And in life.
0: And in life. Yeah, absolutely, it has just... It's such a big part, and it's a big part of gaming in general.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there still isn't really a game like Bioshock or Bioshock Infinite that rebottles that fucking lightning, you know?
0: Not really, and yet there's so many games that have kind of copied the formula.
1: Yeah, or the aesthetic entirely. Or the aesthetic, yeah. (laughs) The, uh, oh God, is it Steamwork Revolution or Clockwork Revolution? It's something steampunky, and it deals with time and shit and has... Basically, Columbia as the
0: backdrop. It really looks very similar, right? Right. Well, anyway, when we last left off Ken Levine.
1: (laughs) Last time on Ken Levine.
0: Yeah, he had decided that he was not going to be doing Bioshock 2. Boo. And Ken Levine set out to make his vision for what a Bioshock sequel should look like.
1: So they had concurrent sequel, quote unquote, projects from the Bioshock world moving. Yeah, they did. That's fascinating. And this is all under Irrational Games, right?
0: Still under Irrational Games, yeah.
1: It's interesting to have nearly competing teams working concurrently for the same boss, you know? Right?
0: It's an interesting method to take. Yeah. And to be real, he even questioned whether or not he should even do another Bioshock game.
1: Because, like, what more do you have to say?
0: Yeah, that's the reason he didn't want to do Bioshock 2. He felt he had said everything he wanted to say about Bioshock.
1: Or at least Rapture.
0: Or at least Rapture, yeah.
1: You know, when we look at the core components that transfer from Bioshock to Infinite, and then just even what we've seen of Judas, his next coming project, it's it seems to be structured in the same framework, while the story and setting are very different.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be a theme that's going to kind of resonate throughout this entire story.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> Not to jump ahead.
0: Right. So his closest confidants really did encourage him, though, to continue the franchise. Hell yeah. After the launch and success of the first game, Ken Levine found himself in the center of the spotlight, having delivered a groundbreaking and revolutionary experience.
1: And he's part of this very specific class of this, like, mid to late aughts game directors who started becoming personalities of themselves. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, obviously in the 80s with Tetris, people aren't following Alexei Pajitnov the way they're following Neil Druckmann because they love The Last of Us. Right, exactly. But this era of that like mid aughts to late aughts, maybe early teens years is when we start getting these personality game directors and like, you know, the cliffy bees of the world. Yeah,
0: definitely. So he returned to Irrational Games, ready to get started on his next project and he saw that there were a few faces missing. Hmm. A handful of developers had decided to go make Bioshock 2, as it came with a nice promotion.
1: Oh, naturally.
0: Yeah. Which, no biggie, as he was being given resources the first game never had anyway.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Mainly, a significantly larger budget. Oh, doesn't that feel good? Oh yeah, money always feels good, right? It definitely does. So, Ken Levine set out to hire a new team of developers to make his next game. The first game capped out around 40 employees, with the majority of development being done by about 20 people.
1: I think that's a fair-sized team.
0: Yeah. And this new game quickly ballooned to 150 employees.
1: Holy shit.
0: However, one of the people that they had lost was the Joey Drew to his Henry Stein. Oh, no. On the first game, Ken was free to be the creative, and he didn't have to worry about the details.
1: He just had to turn his work in.
0: Yeah. With this new team, Ken was the only person at the top.
1: And he looked around and went, oh, no.
0: Yeah, he had no experience running a team. As we learned with the first team, Ken Levine is a very collaborative creator.
1: Yeah, he would pitch a lot of stuff and they go, damn, that's crazy. And he'd go, really? I thought it was dumb. And then they put it in the game and it would be the would you kindly twist.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) Yeah. He likes to spark an idea and then get the team talking and allows all the best ideas to rise to the top. That's cool. And that's what great leadership should do. Mm -hmm. When you're working with about five to ten people at a time, though. With a team of 150, the individual teams are closer to 20.
1: Holy shit.
0: And the development of the game quickly got away from him. Oh, no. Everyone was expecting the Ken Levine genius behind Bioshock. And he's always been very humble and from the very beginning has said, this has all been a team effort
1: getting Andrew Ryan
0: yeah. <laughs> right well you hear somebody say it was a team effort and you think oh you're just being humble and modest right yeah but Ken Levine was telling the truth
1: <laughs> he said no for real I need eight people to rein my ass in
0: yeah obviously we have the game today and that's because the people who joined were passionate and they did want to make a great game and even though it gotten chaotic they did land on a few central ideas on the game they were going to make good The first idea he had to get everyone on board about was the concept of going in a new direction. Literally? Yeah.
1: To the sky!
0: (laughs) Levine referred to the term Bioshock not as a specific location or setting, but a concept conjoined by two ideas. The exploration of a fantastical setting, and the use of a large number of tools and abilities in creative manners to survive.
1: He said, you guys know this is an anthology, right?
0: Yeah, that's how he wanted it to go. So, step one, figure out the location. Yeah. And not wanting to repeat styles and themes from the first game, Ken wanted to take the game a bit further back in time. To the early 1900s, just as the Industrial Revolution was beginning, and America was in a rebirth period. Mm. He landed on an era historians call American exceptionalism.
1: I hate that already.
0: Yeah, the name is um, the very healthy idea that America is the greatest country in the world and the leaders in all things technology and intelligence.
1: Oh, it's giving. I don't even own a passport.
0: Yeah. Ken Levine felt that that time period was filled with terrible people doing terrible things. Okay, cool. And he wanted to explore that.
1: There we go. (laughs) I got nervous for a half a second, but okay.
0: There's a lot to be nervous about with this game.
1: Yeah. As a mixed person, This isn't super fun, the first playthrough.
0: Right. So he decided that if the first game was New Year's Eve 1959, then this should be set around 4th of July, 1912. Marica. Yeah, very Americana. This gave his designers an era to research and explore. And the wildest thing people kept finding was the idea of flight being the biggest fantasy for people back then. Hmm. Artwork depicting flying buildings, luxury blimps, and other soaring contraptions were, like, all over the place.
1: I didn't know that was such a big part of the idealism of what the future would be in that era. Yeah,
0: being able to fly. Huh. Ken Levine loved the idea of going to the complete opposite of a city underwater.
1: It's gonna be dry as fuck up there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he decided a city in the sky would be a great new location for the game.
1: What I think is funny is that kind of the concept is falling into his lap. Like he almost took a pin and like, or a dart and threw it at the wall and it hit a poster of 1912 fucking July 4th. I mean, they're like, yeah, they love the sky. He's like, it's perfect.
0: Yeah. Okay. My idea just worked. Let's go with that. Yeah. Well, the next part, which was the part everyone was most excited to explore, was the philosophy of the game. If the first game was libertarianism taken to its extreme, then what will this new game Codenamed Project Icarus, take on.
1: Oh, I like that.
0: As Ken Levine said in an interview, if you think about the founding principles of the United States, if you think about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, what's interesting to me is how two different people can look at the same set of documents by a single group of writers and come away with entirely different opinions about what those writings mean. So different. That they're willing to kill each other over them.
1: I would love to introduce him to the Bible. <laughs> and the history of religion. That and would be fantastic. That.
0: I think he got a pretty decent crash course making this game.
1: Okay, fair enough.
0: And it's scary how hauntingly true that is still to this day.
1: Oh, uh, horrifyingly so.
0: So we decided to create political ideologies and have them pitted against each other. And he chose a Christo-Fascist state, which is a government controlled by a Christian church, versus a group of freedom fighters. The key being, neither side can be shown as objectively right or wrong.
1: Merka, fuck yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that wasn't an easy task to set to a group of artists. (laughs) And I would say they only do a mediocre job of hiding which side they think is wrong.
1: It's hard to hide your bias and things yeah. like this. If we're going to be 100, I'm probably going to say some shit people won't agree with on this episode. I'm going to put that out there right now.
0: Yeah. So they got to work and started building a game within months of the first Bioshock's release.
1: Wow. That's wild to go so quickly straight into it because like. You're creating, you're creating, you're creating. It finally gets moved over to the next stage. You're like, fuck yeah, it's shipping. And they're like, all right, here's the next pile of work. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, damn, I wanted to take a week off. They're like, no.
0: Well, as the years went on, Ken Levine would change his mind constantly. Oh. And would need entirely new ideas and concepts on a whim.
1: Oh, I don't like that, buddy.
0: Well, it wasn't that he was getting eccentric. It was that he was maintaining that collaborative nature of his. Oh. And every other day, a team would have an amazing idea that just kind of reset the motion of the entire game.
1: Ah, shit. So you would be like, that's great. Scrap the last shit without building on it necessarily. Yeah.
0: It really became a problem that he just couldn't say no to a good idea. Mm-hmm. This led to nobody on the team knowing what the whole story of the game was actually supposed to be.
1: It's pivoting too much. How are you supposed to follow the thread?
0: Right. And Ken insisted that his reason for kind of keeping secrets between teams was because he wanted to be able to gauge reactions from the team as he revealed them.
1: But it turns into a world of mistrust and misinformation.
0: Yeah, because again, he's a creative. He's not a manager. Mm -hmm. He doesn't understand how annoying that is to a team that just wants an assignment with a clear direction.
1: I'm a scrum master. You've done some project management courses. Yeah. We we probably could have helped.
0: Yeah, definitely. They needed a project manager. Yeah. At the two-year mark of development in 2010, they released the first trailer and gameplay footage of the new Bioshock Infinite.
1: Oh, very cool.
0: It was dark and haunting, showcasing new powers, like the ability to shoot crows from your hands.
1: That is my favorite plasmid of all
0: time.
1: (laughs) I might have said this in previous Bioshock episodes, but Murder of Crows is the best fucking one. Why? You're a Disney princess, but for murder. (laughs) You control birds.
0: Yeah, that one's really good. So fucking good. It showcased the flying city of Columbia and its early 1900s America theming. And we saw fighting and flying, a building crashing into another. It was pretty fucking epic. That's great. And this game was going to be a perfect sister sequel to the original game. Back at home at Irrational Games, they continued plugging away and started developing the two lead characters, Booker and Elizabeth. For Booker, they wanted the opposite of Jack from the first game. Mm -hmm. They didn't want a silent protagonist who was just along for the ride. They wanted a talkative person and referenced Nathan Drake as an inspiration for the character.
1: Really? Yeah. I'm triggered.
0: I know, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? Yeah. We'll get into why. (laughs) But they especially wanted his interactions with Elizabeth. They wanted the same level of dialogue and conversations that the Uncharted series was able to accomplish.
1: In kind of that way that Nathan and Elena has... Love interests have some banter, but also some mutual respect on the battlefield and things like that.
0: Yeah, things like that.
1: I fully see the thread.
0: For Booker, they cast the legendary veteran video game voice actor, Troy Baker, Ah, <sighs> who ended up in the Uncharted series eventually.
1: As Nathan Drake's older brother. Right.
0: <laughs> now, for Elizabeth, they cast Courtney Draper, who had like four credits to her professional career. Goodness. None of them in voiceover.
1: Good for you, bitch. That must have been a killer fucking audition.
0: Honestly, because she's fucking fantastic in this game.
1: She is.
0: She does a fan. Oh, she is wonderful as Elizabeth. And Booker was intended as the playable character and Elizabeth to be the sidekick. The inspiration for her being none other than Half-Life 2's Alex Vance. Oh, But again, Alex had to carry that whole game because 27-year-old Dr. Gordon Freeman is a silent hero.
1: You know what? He's got a lot on his mind. Like you? Like me. (laughs) Oh, I haven't thought about him in a while. I thought um, he might have ghosted me.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry.
1: But I mean, he's not chatty, so who can ever tell if he's ghosting?
0: And he did meet Alex Vance, so...
1: (gasps) I get it. I ain't shit compared to her. (laughs) I fully respect that. I know my place. That's fine.
0: Well, unlike Dr. Gordon Freeman, Booker talks a lot.
1: He does. I like his performance a lot. And now that I'm thinking about it, aesthetically, his outfit does look a little Nathan Drakey.
0: A little bit, yeah. It's
1: a very kind of of that turn-of-the-century kind of Brendan Fraser and the Mummy outfit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's an adventurer outfit, certainly.
0: Very much an adventurer outfit.
1: Yeah. Uh, whereas Nathan Drake and his uh, performer, Nolan North, inject a lot of kind of fun and humor and levity and silliness to it has none of that (laughs) there is no silliness to this fucking portrayal at all
0: no he's not a funny character no well they needed a character that could be even more interactive than alex vance because of the fact that booker talks as well
1: yeah and he's throwing sass so like you got to be there to catch it
0: yeah after the trailer had dropped the audience had a really warm reception to elizabeth Mm. and ken levine put pressure on the team to make her ai the best that's Ever been seen in gaming. Not as good as Alex Vance. Better. Damn. They had to develop a team called the Liz Squad.
1: (gasps) Oh, she got her own fucking angels like she's Charlie?
0: Yeah, she had an entire team dedicated just to her. So they could focus on inventing brand new technology just for this interactable character.
1: There's something about Troy Baker games in 2013, 14, where he really acts as a pedestal for great female performances of his sidekicks who are brunettes, (laughs) you know, (laughs) fully not to make it too last of us heavy, but like he really did something in this era where he was like, whatever woman I am cast against is going to fucking shine. Right. But absolutely. I mean, when I think back to Infinite, I don't think of my relationship with Booker. I think of my relationship with
0: Elizabeth. Right. Fully. So this even included adding interactable elements and moments through every single map of the game.
1: That's cool. So things are very specific to where you are and where you're at in the story.
0: Yeah. And she'll, like, call out something to talk to Booker about, you know? Honestly, the technology that gets invented for Elizabeth is outrageous. Yeah. And we'll actually get into more of it later in the episode. Internally, they had a release date of holiday 2011 for the game in mind. But with the Liz squad and Ken Levine changing entire levels at the drop of a hat, including briefly considering cutting Elizabeth entirely (gasps) due to the difficulty in programming her.
1: Oh, shit.
0: They realized that date wasn't happening, and they pushed it back and landed on October of 2012. Okay. The next trailer came out, and it showed all new footage of the game and announced the release date. The footage looked a lot different from the first trailer, but mostly the same elements. And by the final game standards does represent the final game, at least, as the original trailer does not at all. (laughs) But time kept creeping forward. And Ken Levine's inability to lead a team was becoming more and more apparent. Uh
1: Oh, buddy, the seams are starting to show.
0: Yeah, there was no way they were going to hit that date. So they pushed it back again. Mm. And hired a new boss. (gasps) Now, they didn't fire Ken Levine. They just brought in a guy that is known in the industry as a man who can finish a game.
1: Like Star Magic Johnson, the sequel doctor?
0: Yeah, exactly. Oh, shit. (laughs) His name is Rod Ferguson, and they poached him from Epic Games to come finish out Bioshock Infinite. His name's Rod? Yes, his name's Rod. Rod, being old school, implemented immediate crunch and set a hard release date of February 26, 2013.
1: This is coming out whether you motherfuckers are ready or not, so get to your goddamn keyboards.
0: Yeah, which, even with him holding the whip, they had to push back one more time to March 26,
1: 2013. Damn.
0: When it did ultimately release. The game rests at a 94 on Metacritic. Hell yeah. And is the third highest rated game of 2013, only being beaten by GTA V and The Last of Us Part 1.
1: It was a good year for Troy Baker. It
0: was a great year for Troy Baker.
1: (laughs) All the women he worked with fucking shining.
0: With such stiff competition, it didn't win any major Game of the Year awards.
1: Oh, everything was so split. And I mean, it's been 10 years. We're still playing all three of these games. (laughs) Yeah, seriously,
0: right? But it was nominated and received high praise nonetheless. Good. Some consider it as classic of a game as the original. Some think it's just another decent entry in the franchise. And some really didn't care for it at all.
1: Mm, I go back and forth. Right? There are some things that I feel are unforgivable and some things that really still feel better almost than the first one.
0: At the end of the day, it has sold over 11 million copies.
1: Hell yeah.
0: And often finds itself landing in many must-play lists over 10 years after its release.
1: What the fuck was in the water in 2013?
0: You know, same thing that was in the water in 2023. I'll tell you what, this has been an incredible year for gaming.
1: I am so far behind. That's valid. I'm catching up <laughs> to all my 2013 games.
0: Yeah, right? Still.
1: I'm a decade behind.
0: <laughs> well, let's close out the franchise, at least for now, Goombas.
1: Happy holidays. This is our gift to you.
0: This is Bioshock Infinite. The game opens on a black screen. We hear the voice of a woman say, Booker? Are you afraid of God?
1: (laughs) Bad first date question.
0: Then a man, presumably Booker, says, no, but I'm afraid of you.
1: Great first date answer.
0: We next see a quote that reads, The mind of the subject will desperately struggle to create memories where none exist. As quoted in the publication, Barriers to Transdimensional Travel by R. Lutes, 1889. Now we are not in 1889, fortunately. The year is 1912, and our location is off the coast of Maine. The game begins, and we find ourselves in a rowboat, out in the middle of the stormy and foggy ocean. Ew. You are Booker DeWitt. You're a passenger in this rowboat, as there is a man paddling the boat, and he's arguing with a woman, who is also on the boat. They're both wearing yellow raincoats while you are just wearing your normal clothes, that adventurer clothes we were talking about, <laughs> soaking wet in the middle of the sea. The two are arguing over whether or not some experiment succeeded, as the woman passes you a small wooden box. Inside the box, we see a gun, a picture of a golden angelic statue, hmm. some symbols, a big silver key, the coordinates for New York City, some loose change and a picture of a young woman. You take the gun, then check out the picture of the woman. On the back of the picture is a note saying, Bring to New York unharmed. The two other people in the boat are saying some confusing things. For example, the woman asks the man, Why he didn't ask you for help rowing, seeing as this is your mission? And the man says, Because he doesn't row. And the woman says, What do you mean he doesn't row? And the man responds, it's not that he doesn't row. It's that he doesn't row. <laughs> and she responds with, Oh, okay. That makes sense.
1: It's like dream speak, where you're like, I recognize these words, but they're not lining up.
0: Yeah, right? It's AI written language. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> like, to be clear, it's totally to not. Be clear. <laughs> The AI was for Elizabeth's movement, not for any of the voices or anything like that. <laughs> I actually know the guy who did the voice of the male character in this. Uh, I used to work with him in one of the restaurants back in Los Angeles.
1: That's right. We saw a cosplayer of him at, a, I think, SDCC, and we sent a picture to him.
0: Yeah, his name's Oliver Vicker. Uh, great guy. I, I actually knew him in person for a little while.
1: What's up, Oliver?
0: The fog eventually clears, and you can just make out a dock connected to a small island. Here's where we'll take our first bio shot as this island also has a lighthouse on it.
1: Do not take a fucking bio shot. Are you serious? Okay, so our show <laughs> accidentally developed a drinking game where whenever a game is referential to Bioshock, we take a bio shot. I have never played this. It seems horribly <laughs> dangerous.
0: Yeah, no, it's just every time that it's got just such a Bioshock moment, you take a bio shot for it. You climb out of the boat and onto the dock. And the man and woman paddle away, wishing you the best of luck. Do they? Yeah, kind of. You ask if someone is going to be meeting you here, and they say they certainly hope so.
1: <laughs> For your sake, fucko.
0: But nobody is around, so you approach the lighthouse. The door is shut, and there's a blood-stained note pinned to it saying, Do it. Bring us the girl, and wipe away the debt. Ooh. This is your last chance. You knock on the door, saying you are expected but nobody answers. So you go in. Immediately in front of you is a wash basin with some towels next to it and a sign that says, Of thy sins shall I wash thee. And this is here to let you know, this game is going to be tackling religion pretty heavily.
1: Yeah, that's an aggressive first thing to interact with.
0: Yeah, if you have issues with criticizing religion, this probably won't be the game for you.
1: He criticizes one specific religion. Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty light on the Buddhism talk here.
0: Uh, not really. There's quite a bit of Buddhism talk, actually, in this game.
1: Oh, shit. That was a throwaway joke. I haven't played this in a couple of years. <laughs> My bad.
0: Well, you look around the lighthouse, and this is nothing like the lighthouse from the first Bioshock. In the first game, it was a tall, hollow building with a basement leading to a submersible bathysphere that took you to Rapture. Obviously. This lighthouse, however is a normal one, with stairs going up to the top and no basement to be found. Plus, this is 40 years prior to the events of the first game, so Andrew Ryan hadn't even built Rapture yet.
1: He's still a baby, if at all.
0: You explore a bit and find some quarters where someone is clearly living, but nobody is found. You can even find an old-timey phone, but when you pick it up, the line is dead.
1: It's actually a new-timey for this, consider.
0: <laughs> it was very modern at the time. Yeah. On the next floor, you do find a person, but he's not moving. Oh, no. He's sitting in a chair and has a burlap sack over his head.
1: Never a good thing.
0: Even worse is a giant blood stain where his face should be behind the sack.
1: I wouldn't open the sack.
0: Yeah, you don't, fortunately. On his chest is a sign saying, Don't disappoint us. Jesus! So, now that you've seen the fate of the lighthouse's only inhabitant, you continue your climb to the top of the lighthouse. At the top of the lighthouse is an outdoor deck that goes around the whole of the glass structure that contains the actual light of the lighthouse. But the door to get in is locked. There's some bells on the door with some symbols carved into them. They're the same symbols you saw in that box the woman gave you. Oh. You ring the bells in the order listed in the box. Suddenly, the stormy sky lights up a bright red coming from somewhere above the clouds. Uh Uh-oh. With the red lights comes the sounding of a loud trumpet. Which is a reference to the book of Revelations in the Bible. Oh. Where the sounding of the seven woe trumpets marks the beginning of the apocalypse.
1: Woe trumpets.
0: These horns also have seven different notes that play. And the sky lights up with each blow. Once they finish, the inside of the lighthouse burns bright red as well, as if responding to the trumpets. The trumpets respond to the lighthouse once more and the door to the inside of the lighthouse opens. The light of the lighthouse sinks into the floor and is replaced with a red barbershop chair. You look at it and figure someone obviously wants you to take a seat, so you do. As soon as you're seated, your wrists become locked in by a cuff, and walls start popping up around you, looking like the elevator from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. A robotic woman's voice says, Make yourself ready, pilgrim right <laughs> great choice of word as the chair tilts forward and you see what looks like rockets beneath you oh firing up as if this lighthouse is actually a spaceship hell yeah and while hanging there the gun from your pocket falls out into the flame below
1: oh god damn it
0: you tilt back up now completely surrounded by the walls of this makeshift rocket and the voice counts down from five. You struggle to break free, but to no avail, as the countdown concludes. And instead of sinking to the bottom of the ocean, you blast off into the stormy night sky. Whee! The voice tells you your elevation as you soar higher and higher 5,000 feet, 10,000 feet, 15,000 feet. Then you break through the storm clouds, and light blinds you through the single window in front of you as you do. As you regain your vision, The voice says, Hallelujah. And we get our next bio shot, as this game's location, Columbia, is revealed to you for the first time.
1: Oh, it's so fun.
0: In the distance, we can see a full-scale city, high above the clouds, with skyscrapers and suspension bridges. The giant whale moment of this game is taken on by a flying zeppelin moving between sections of the city.
1: (laughs) That's so cool.
0: We can also see a giant, golden, angelic statue. The one in the picture from the box we got earlier. Only now we can see the true scale of it. And it's bigger than any statue we have even today in our real world. (laughs) Like the Statue of Liberty ain't got shit on this girl. That's what's up. You are speechless, unable to comprehend what you're seeing. Some gentle piano music begins to play as the ship you're in begins to descend toward the city. And you hear a parachute open, floating you down. On the side of one of the buildings, we see a poster that takes up the whole side with a picture of an elderly white man with long white hair and a full white beard.
1: Jesus? No. No. You said beard. Beard. Santa. (laughs) Happy holidays, everyone.
0: Also, that's the second time you've mistaken Santa Claus for a character on this show.
1: What do you mean? In
0: Hades. You thought Hades was Santa Claus. Was
1: it not Santa?
0: (laughs) It was not Santa, no. What the
1: fuck? We need to do more Santa games.
0: The words on the poster read, Father Comstock, our prophet.
1: Oh, I thought it was Nicholas. Damn it.
0: When you touch down, you land in an elevator shaft and are slowly taken down inside a building. As you come to a stop, you see a huge stained glass window with Father Comstock pointing to a city in the sky, surrounded by desperate looking people with the words, And the prophet shall lead the people to the new Eden in reference to the Garden of Eden, in the Bible's Origin of Life theory.
1: Oh no, I heard there snakes there.
0: No, that was our apartment in North Hollywood.
1: God damn it. <laughs> we did live in a snake-infested apartment.
0: <laughs> that was no Garden of Eden.
1: No, it was no Oh.
0: The door to your ship opens, and your restraints retract. And you can get out and walk around. For some reason, the whole place is ankle-deep in water. And there are angelic voices singing hymns through the stone building that is clearly a shrine to Father Comstock. You get another bio shot moment as we come up to the giant stone bust of Father Comstock. Over him a sign says, The seat of the prophet shall sit the throne, and drown in flame the mountains of man. You find a man all in white robes and ask him where you are, and he says, Heaven, or at least the closest we can get until the judgment.
1: Oh my god.
0: You're like, Cool, so this is a religious place. <laughs> There's some stairs heading down that you find, and when you descend them, you see a giant hall filled with floating candles in the ankle-deep water.
1: Oh, is it so pretty.
0: You can see pairs of statues of angels holding their arms in an arc over the pathway you're on. Writer Drew Holmes says the act of walking through a candle-lined water trough in a Columbia church is visually similar to swimming through the flaming wreckage of the plane to reach the lighthouse in the first game.
1: Oh, I like that.
0: You can hear a preacher in the distance saying some preacher shit about sacrifice and baptism. He's talking about the prophet and how he defeated the heathens at Wounded Knee, discovered the mysteries of making a flying city, then delivered the people to it. Now, the next part is very offensive. I'm sorry, everyone. Because the prophet next thankfully drove out the vipers of the Orient during the Boxer Rebellion. Uh, Fuck you. Then he lost his loving wife at the hands of the dreaded Vox Populi.
1: Good. Honestly, good. Already hate this guy.
0: And Vox Populi is Latin for voice of the people.
1: It's often used for, like, zines and things, too, and underground movements still use that term.
0: Yeah, definitely. You approach the preacher, who is surrounded by worshippers. He asks if you came from the Sodom below, and if you are ready to be cleansed in the baptismal waters of Columbia.
1: I like that main
0: is Sodom.
1: (laughs) Right. Once again, he came off the coast of Maine where there's just a bunch of sweet dudes in sweaters getting lobster. Yeah,
0: right. You say, you just want into the city. He tells you, the only way in is through baptism as this is the new Eden and you can't enter without a clean soul. And you're like, whatever, just some water and go along with the charade. Now, a normal baptism, at least in the Catholic Church, you say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
1: I was baptized as a baby in a Presbyterian church, which I think was a water gun ceremony. <laughs> They're real chill. It was a real laid back Presbyterian vibe.
0: Nice. Well, this blasphemous bastard baptizes you in the name of the prophets, the name of our founders, and then finally in the name of the Lord.
1: In that order. <laughs> That's such a fucking power move.
0: He dunks you under the water and pulls you out. He says... I don't know. He doesn't look clean yet. Oh my god. Then he dunks you and holds you under until the screen goes black and you pass out.
1: End of the game. It's amazing it showed up on so many Game of the Years lists. <laughs> it's the Far Cry fake out.
0: Right. Well, in the blackness, you hear the pounding of a door. You wake up in a black and white world. You're asleep at a desk and there's racing forms with losing bets strewn across it.
1: He lost all his money on the ponies?
0: Yeah, literally on the ponies. Oh,
1: that's embarrassing.
0: And there's also a bunch of liquor bottles and a gun. Things aren't going great for you in life. (laughs) The person pounding on the door continues to pound, yelling, We told you to it. Bring us the girl and wipe away the debt.
1: From the ponies. These are bookies. Yeah. They're horse bookies.
0: (laughs) The door to your place has a big frosted glass window. And while we can't see the person knocking, we can see that it says Booker DeWitt. Investigations into matters both public and private. So yeah, you're clearly a private eye with a gambling problem. And someone has hired slash blackmailed you to find some girl.
1: Well, all the pony money.
0: (laughs) When you open the door, we don't see a hallway or a person on the other side. You see the city of New York at night. And it's completely under siege. Oh, shit. There's explosions and smoke covering the city. And we can see zeppelins flying over it, raining fire down on the people below. High above, we can see the silhouette of the Golden Angel statue looming over New York. (laughs)
1: Like Godzilla?
0: Yeah, upon a giant floating section of Columbia. A fireball shoots directly at you, and it causes you to wake up, back in Columbia. Ah, Laying in a puddle of water.
1: He drowned you and left you there.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Three statues tower over you. One of Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and George Washington. When the preacher baptized you in the name of the Founders, this is who he meant.
1: The Founding Fathers? Yeah. They would have loved Hamilton.
0: (laughs) They would have hated Hamilton. Oh, you know what you're right. They would have hated (laughs) Hamilton. (laughs) Because the United States of America was not the first name chosen for this country. Hmm. The actual, real-life name they wanted to give it was Columbia.
1: Is that why D.C. is the District of Columbia? That's
0: exactly why it is. So even though these men never lived to the 1900s, they are considered the founders of this Columbia. As Comstock created this community he believes they were intending to build with the original Hmm. idea for Columbia.
1: The same energy Banksy took to Dismal Land, <laughs> saying this would have been Walt's eventual dream, right?
0: While all three of these men are historically linked to the Freemasons, it's weirdly never comes up in this game. Really? Yeah. And huh. also, if you want to dive into the Freemasons and that whole wild world, there are plenty of podcasts and YouTube videos that can explain it all to you. That's
1: a whole ass thing. Yeah.
0: You push through to the actual city, and you open a door to another grand reveal moment. In the sky are moving buildings and flying ships. The platform you're on docks with another section of the city. And in the near distance, we see a large statue of Constock himself. Columbia fucking loves statues.
1: <laughs> First order, get all the doctors up to Columbia. Second order, sculptors.
0: Yeah, so many sculptors. They have so much work for them. From some brilliant environmental storytelling which I guess deserves a bio shot as it's a staple of the series.
1: Right, and just gaming now.
0: Yeah. We learned that Comstock had what everyone considered a miracle child.
1: Oh, a uh, rainbow baby.
0: Yeah, as he was under the impression he couldn't have children with his wife.
1: I assumed my dick didn't work.
0: <laughs> no, he assumed his wife didn't work.
1: Oh, yeah. There's going to be some misogyny up in this bitch. There's going
0: to be a lot of it, actually, yeah. He made a prophecy that his daughter would lead the Sodom below into righteousness, which is that saying we read before about bringing fire down on the mountains of man. Oh, God. You explore the area more and see some city folk just going about their day, most of them talking about a raffle that will be taking place later that day.
1: Ooh, I love a raffle. I'm really good at raffles. You're
0: weirdly good. You just won us David Blaine tickets recently.
1: I did. (laughs) Very good.
0: They're all voiced and they all have stories to tell, usually just talking amongst themselves about Comstock or the latest news as you progress through the game.
1: Just gossips.
0: You eventually see the giant angel statue in the near distance. You hold up the picture from your box and figure that must be where they're keeping the girl you're here to retrieve. As you put the picture away, a young boy appears in front of you saying he has a telegram for you.
1: is it a little gremlin man
0: it's kind of a little gremlin man but it's supposed to be a little boy
1: some of the kids got real fucked up animations like elizabeth is
0: beautiful right (laughs) a lot of attention went into her
1: yeah some of these kids fucked up looking
0: yeah not as bad as the cyberpunk kids though okay you take it and it says not to alert comstock to your presence and not to pick number 77 seems pretty fair for the rules of this world Signed by a person named Lutess. You're
1: about to fuck this up so bad.
0: <laughs> As you head towards the statue, you go through a sort of World's Fair area with people showing off all sorts of new technology.
1: Very like H.H. Holmes going to the World's Fair and yeah. shit like that. Like the Disney like future world and shit.
0: Fully, yeah. Cool. One of these things that they're showing off is a robot called a handyman. It's about 10 feet tall has long-ass robot arms, big fucking feet, and a teeny tiny head looking like Mark Ruffalo in the Hulkbuster suit.
1: Oh, I love that. It's amazing how... They, there was this perceived reliance on robots when really we're just relying on, like, voice AI. It's just me yelling into the middle distance going, <laughs> please turn the music off instead of, like, having my robot butler come in with a fucking feather duster. Yeah,
0: fully, right?
1: Our room was real flat. Like.
0: <laughs> He's really small. Yeah.
1: They overestimated the verticality of robots is all I'm
0: getting at. <laughs> yeah, this thing was very much designed to be, like, your household, like, butler kind of situation. Right. But it's also bigger than any doorway that would be in any kind of house.
1: It's the, it's the one for the ceiling, so you can get the fucking top corners. I get
0: it. <laughs> and it also keeps like shorting out while it's being presented.
1: It's not a good robot.
0: Yeah, it's kind of its big daddy replacement for this game. They have a few, to be honest. And none of them operate like the big Daddy. so you can't even fairly call them the big daddy replacement. It's just big giant things that you gotta fight.
1: Honestly, good. I like the big diet design as it is. I think they did a great job. I don't think they need to fucking regurgitate it in every skin of every world they go to. Hell yeah. Yeah,
0: I agree. There's also a booth here with a substance called Vigors.
1: Absolutely drink all of it.
0: Now take another bio shot because these Vigors act as the plasmid for this game.
1: I like that it's clear that there's some parallels between the world of Rapture and this world and the substances that were laying down for the inevitable rise of rapture, but it's just a little different.
0: Yeah, just tiny bits. Except here, you don't have to inject it into your bloodstream. You just drink it.
1: Good. Honestly, that was so fucking gross in the yeah. first
0: shot. <laughs>
1: and Jack is just like, I'm here, let's go. Yes, he's being hypnotized, but he does immediately stick a loose needle he found in a rotting underwater cavern into his body.
0: <laughs> right.
1: I cover my drink when I go to the bathroom. Like, (laughs) this is a different world.
0: Fully. Also, you don't use Eve to recharge it. Instead, you use vigor salts.
1: There's no Adam and Eve. It's just salt. Yeah. That's so American.
0: (laughs) It just adds salt to it. We love salt. (laughs) Yeah, and it's honestly all the exact same thing, just a different name. The first one you get is called Possession.
1: (gasps) I love this.
0: Yeah, and it allows you to take control of machines like turrets and vending machines. And yes, I have another bio shot because this game also uses vending machines as its shopkeepers.
1: I love that.
0: Yeah, they're different in this game having an animatronic acting as the actual shopkeeper.
1: Because they love vertical robots.
0: And his name is Dollar Bill.
1: <laughs> I like that a lot.
0: And he's once again being voiced by Ken Levine himself.
1: I don't think I knew that this robot had a name. I appreciate that it's Dollar Bill. <laughs> That's cute. That's enough of a pun for me. I'm happy. <laughs>
0: Well, there's a dollar bill vending machine nearby, so you use it, and he opens a door to the next section for you.
1: The machine does?
0: The machine does, yeah.
1: What a gentleman.
0: Beyond it is the man and woman from the rowboat earlier. Somehow, they're here in Columbia.
1: They get around.
0: The man is wearing a chalkboard on his chest, and it's divided into two sections. Heads and tails. Heads has 12 tally marks underneath it, and tails has nothing. Hmm. The man throws you a coin and asks, heads. And the woman asks, or tails. They do most of their talking like the Weasley twins often finishing each other's sandwiches.
1: Oh, cute.
0: You tell them to shut up and move, but they insist and they make you flip the coin. You call heads, as you don't get an actual choice here, and it lands heads. The woman puts another tally under heads, as the man bitches that even though he knew it would be heads... It's no longer satisfying to him knowing how things turn out. Oh, buddy. The woman tells him that there's always next time. They walk away, and as they do, we see the man is also wearing a chalkboard on his back. Again, split into heads and tails. And we see 110 more tally marks all on the head side.
1: They filled it out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they really did. None on the tail side still.
1: I think this is the exact cosplay we saw, too.
0: Yeah, we did see this cosplay, yeah. You continue on your journey to the Golden Angel, and eventually see a poster with a big, black, clawed hand, with the letters A-D on the back of it. Words surrounding the hand say, You shall know the false shepherd by his mark.
1: Oh, I love some propaganda.
0: You look at your right hand and say, What the... Because that's exactly... What you have tattooed on the back of your own hand.
1: That's Okay, so at this time, that was called a job stopper. (laughs) Right? (laughs) You couldn't get tattoos on your neck or hand unless it really meant something fucked up happened to you.
0: He was a private eye. Like, he employed himself.
1: That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Still, it should have come up in the interview, but man, that's not a tattoo you can hide.
0: He decided to push forward and eventually come upon that raffle you heard others talking about before. There's a hundred or so people, all surrounding an outdoor stage with red curtains, and a man in a top hat and sporting a penciled mustache saying that the 1912 raffle is finally here. The audience cheers and a woman calls out to you. She's carrying a basket of baseballs and tells you to pull one for the raffle, so you reach in and pull one out at random.
1: Booker is not impervious to a raffle. He's like, you know what? I'm in debt. I could come up real big right now. He's a gambling man.
0: Yeah. When you look at the number, it's number 77.
1: Booker, you had two objectives. (laughs) (laughs) You fucked up half of them.
0: And the woman says, wow, lucky number. I'll be rooting for you.
1: Oh, she's trying to fuck.
0: She walks off and the raffle begins. With the prettiest white girl in all of Columbia bringing the man in a top hat a bowl full of raffle ticket numbers. Now, that's not my own words. That is the man in the top hat's words. Okay. About her being the prettiest white girl in all of Columbia. It's
1: like you're getting in some bad (laughs) water that you're treading. What the fuck?
0: He reaches in and pulls out. Surprise, surprise. Number 77.
1: Booker, this is why it's specifically said in your note. (laughs) Do not do this shit.
0: He congratulates you and says, You won the big prize. You get the first throw.
1: This is where I was immediately upset and was like, What the fuck am I playing?
0: You look around, confused as the red curtains draw back, revealing a jungle scene, all in cardboard cutouts, and two people, a white man and a black woman, tied up to a couple poles. Surrounding the two are a pair of very racially insensitive looking monkeys dressed as if they are getting married. The tied up white man keeps yelling that it was him, all him. Leave her out of this. Mm. The man in the top hat looks at you and says, well, are you going to throw it or are you taking your coffee black these days? (gasps) Yeah. And then he bursts into a fit of laughter.
1: Oh my God.
0: Now here we're actually given a choice. And I'm shocked they chose this moment to have one. You can throw it at the tied-up man and woman. Or at the man in the top hat.
1: Hell yeah, I don't think I've ever thrown it at the man and woman.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if any of you maliciously chose to throw it at the tied-up people, I'd appreciate it if you just went ahead and turned off our show right now, because (laughs) fuck you. But regardless of your choice, when you wind up to throw the ball, A cop catches your hand and points out the A.D. tattoo on the back of it.
1: That's your throwing hand on top
0: of it? (laughs) No. Fucker! Everyone in the crowd turns their attention on you, as you are the false shepherd the prophet warned about.
1: Hey, 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 we're trying to have a wholesome, anti-interracial event. (laughs) And you're coming in with your tattoo showing? Fuck you.
0: The man in the top hat tells the cop and his buddy to show you what Columbia has in store. For the false shepherd. Oh my god. One of the cops holds you, while the other comes towards you, with this gnarly looking device on his hand. It's an arm attachment, and it has three thick-ass metal hooks on it, Mm -hmm. connected in a circle. The circle begins spinning, turning the hooks into basically a saw blade. (laughs) The scene slows down, and you throw the baseball straight up into the air. This causes the cop holding you, to follow the ball into the air with his eyes, distracting him. You grab him and shove his face right into his partner's spinning hooks of death. Ah,
1: that's some Jackie Chan shit, too. Just like an environmental fake-out so I can kick the shit out of you.
0: Right? The cop with the hook device drops it in fear, and it's left stuck inside the face of his partner.
1: That's so fucking cool.
0: You put it onto your own arm and go to fucking town on these assholes which also gets you some guns as these are cops, so of course they're loaded to the teeth.
1: It feels like the hook was more of the connection between Bioshock 2 being the Big Daddy and having the drill, which I actually like more than seeing the large mech outfits of the Big Daddy replacement in the wild. Like, having that kind of power feels really good.
0: I agree entirely. Well, now that the false shepherd is loose on the streets of Columbia, (laughs) the people clear out, and everywhere we go is now desolate.
1: Oh, shit. They said curfew.
0: Yeah, including the interiors of buildings like restaurants and bars. Wow. You go inside one of these buildings as you run from the cops, and inside, you find that man and woman again. The man is wiping down the bar, and the woman is holding an upgrade. If you bought the special edition of this game, or God forbid, (gasps) pre-ordered, all of your bonuses are found in this room as well. You ask why they keep following you, and they're all, uh... We were already in here when you walked in.
1: What do you mean following? You just got here.
0: Why are you following us? (laughs) As you stammer, the woman offers you the upgrade potion she's holding. You take it and upgrade your vigors. She says she's surprised. Her partner says, surprised that he took it. She says, surprised it didn't kill him.
1: She (gasps) She said that was a real (laughs) (laughs) 50-50.
0: You leave the bar and head back outside. You find a flying barge that is used to transport people between floating structures. But the barge to the statue is not in service at this time, and you are told to take the skyline in order to get there. You look up, and you can see these railings that extend up into the sky and out and all around the city. You probably noticed them a few times before now, as sometimes they'll be carrying a big shipping container.
1: They were featured very heavily in a lot of the lead-up marketing.
0: All the trailers, yeah, had these. The device on your arm, which is called a skyhook, activates when you approach the skyline.
1: Let's go, hooker! <laughs> hooker to it. let's go.
0: And you jump up and catch the railing with one of the hooks. This sends you tearing ass down the railing, like the scariest roller coaster in history. <laughs> you realize there must be magnets in this thing, because you can leap off it and onto unsuspecting victims, and then jump right back onto it.
1: Hell yeah, that's cool.
0: There's some leaps that look impossible, but the skyhook pulls you to it whenever you're like nearby. You eventually enter a building that has a big window, and outside of it, you see a projection of Father Comstock, floating in the air on the side of a zeppelin. He says he's looked into your history. He knows about Wounded Knee, the Pinkertons, what happened with someone named Anna, the drinking, the gambling, and now you're here to take his daughter just to erase your debt? You're despicable.
1: Okay, off the bat, he's not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> god damn it booker
0: you deal in blood as he deals in prophecies when it comes to you everything ends in blood just like you will
1: he kind of lost me at prophecies but
0: <laughs> yeah he gets you on his side and then just completely drops you right I
1: mean, the first half I'm not
0: gonna lie you tell him to fuck off basically and continue to wear the statue he tries to stop you by ramming his zeppelin into the building you're inside and you use that moment to jump on board, intending to kill everyone there so you can steal it and take it to the statue, which you do. Yeah. When you make it to the control room, there's a nun inside, who you can't really interact with, so you go to the controls when one of those small transport barges flies up in front of your window, and Comstock is on it speaking into a microphone at you.
1: Personally.
0: He says that the Lord forgives everything, but he's a prophet, so he doesn't have to. But I don't give a fuck. (laughs) To which you hear the nun behind you say, Amen, as she sets herself and the entire Zeppelin on fire.
1: Oh my god, I do not remember this happening.
0: (laughs) Fucking zealots, right? Yeah. You run through the ship and finally leap out of it into the open air. Fortunately, the magnetic pull of your skyhook guides you towards a skyrail, and you connect to it and make it to monument island where the statue is located. As you enter the statue, you find a device called the Specimen Location Tracker. This is tracking what room inside the statue the girl is currently in. Hmm. She's in her dressing room, so you follow the signs. But the signs don't take you to her dressing room. They take you to a room with a big metal cover over a window. Ew. When you pull a lever, the cover moves and the window beyond is revealed. Through the glass, we are peering into the dressing room, and the girl in question is in there. She's fully clothed, though. The window is clearly one way, as she can't see you at all.
1: I don't like the implications of this.
0: At all, right? It's just gross. It's
1: giving gross.
0: She has long dark hair, is wearing a long blue skirt, a white blouse with a blue collar, and a blue ascot. She's looking at a postcard of the Eiffel Tower, and also has a big painting of it in her room as well. She's holding the postcard very lovingly, and she runs off into an adjacent room. From this behind-the-scenes observation area, you follow her into the next room. In this room is a painting of the Eiffel Tower on an easel. There's other art in the room as well, mostly of a big black figure with a glowing yellow eye.
1: Hmm, that's probably nothing.
0: Yeah, it's probably not foreshadowing. She excitedly walks over to her painting and reaches at it, like she's trying to find the divide in a curtain. She finds this invisible divide. And throws her arms wide, as if opening said curtain. But the curtain that opens is the curtain of reality. Oh, shit. A portal of some kind opens where her painting once stood. And we can see the actual Eiffel Tower in the background.
1: Not the one in Vegas?
0: No, not the one in Vegas. This is the Paris one. Along with a movie theater advertising a movie called La Revanche du Jedi.
1: Oh, definitely not the Vegas one.
0: Yeah. And that makes it revenge of the Jedi not return of the Jedi so it's not even our reality it's a reality where the original name never got changed
1: and this is 60 years prior to it actually coming out in this reality or yeah so.
0: that movie came out in 1977 not 1912 so this chick just opened a portal to another time and place <laughs> you hear a siren start blaring and an ambulance comes hurtling directly at the portal the girl closes her arms and the portal closes just before the ambulance crashed into her. Mm. Now it's time for another bio shot, as we find an audio log here in the observation area.
1: Hell yeah.
0: And it's one from that woman who keeps showing up with that man. Her name is Rosalind Lutess.
1: I love that name, Rosalind.
0: Yeah, it's a pretty name.
1: I think it's so pretty.
0: She was clearly the one observing the girl. She says that the girl's abilities have less to do with who she is and more to do with where she came from. Hmm. There's a part of her that never left, and the universe is allowing her to create these portals, or tears as they call them, as a result. The girl leaves the room again, and enters a grand library. There's a huge window to the outside, and you decide that regardless of whatever power this girl has, you still need to get her out of here and back to New York.
1: You gotta do your job.
0: You go looking for a way into her section, when the floor suddenly gives out, and you fall into the library. Whoopsies. From the ground, you look up and say... Hello. And she screams bloody fucking murder.
1: Reasonable. She is not overreacting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you try to calm her down as she starts throwing books at you, saying you're here to help her and that you're a friend.
1: She's never met you. Right. You, you crashed through the architecture of her home. <laughs> she is reasonable to strike.
0: Well, she doesn't introduce herself, but with subtitles on, you can see that her name is Elizabeth.
1: She doesn't really owe you a welcome. <laughs>
0: right. Right. As you try to explain that you're here to help her escape, a bronze statue of Comstock in the corner starts playing music like an old pipe organ. Oh, no. This terrifies Elizabeth, and she says that you need to hide. He's coming.
1: Dun-dun-dun, pronoun game.
0: Oh, we're going to play the pronoun game here for a little bit. (laughs) You ask who he is, and we hear and feel a loud thump from above, and Elizabeth yells at whatever is making the noise. And she says... I'm getting dressed. Please be patient. Well, he starts screeching and making metallic, terrifying sounds. She tells you to hide and you say, why don't we just escape?
1: Oh, my God. Listen to her.
0: She says she's been here her whole life. She's tried. There is no escape. You offer her the key you had in that box from the start of the game. And she immediately knows which door to try it on. Hell yeah. And it works. So the two of you take off out of there with him screeching behind you as you do. You chase after her through the tunnels of the statue, and she explains that his job is to make sure she never leaves. He is just wrecking this statue. Oh no. And you keep getting knocked to the ground by whatever force it's using to shake the entire structure. At one point, you fall and look up to see three giant claws tear through the pyramidal wall.
1: Just claws through a wall is so gnarly.
0: Which makes you jump to your feet and continue running. Yeah. You tell her to hit the call button on an elevator up ahead, and she's like, what's an elevator?
1: (laughs) Oh no, you sweet angel.
0: Which, you know, in case of fire, use the stairs, but whatever.
1: It's 1912, they're not really everywhere like they are now.
0: (laughs) As you wait for the elevator, Elizabeth sees one of the observation windows into her chambers. She had no idea. People were watching her this whole time.
1: She is having the most stressful ten minutes of her life.
0: Fully. And she starts freaking out going, okay, what's going on? What's so special about her and why have they kept her locked up here her entire life?
1: How old is she? How long has this life been?
0: Nineteen years. Okay. You say that doesn't matter because you're here to get her the fuck out. Hell yeah. We next see his claws tear open the elevator door. There's a giant black being on the other side with a huge glowing yellow eye and it peers in at you while grasping at elizabeth fortunately the elevator finally arrives and it crashes down on the creature's head revealing the much safer stairs beyond
1: hell yeah stairs
0: you climb them and come to a door to the outside it's windy and cloudy and you can hardly see anything but you tell elizabeth to keep climbing to the top of the statue as you do you see a gigantic black mass flying in and out of view out in the open air. At the top of the statue, you feel a crash, and you watch Elizabeth get tossed off. You dive for her, grabbing her hand while you both freefall. Then your skyhook powers on, and you manage to land on a skyrail carrying you both to safety.
1: That was a lucky break.
0: Oh, so lucky, right? As you turn around, you watch the statue crumble into pieces and fall to the earth below.
1: Her home for the last 19 years just imploded.
0: (laughs) Like 10 minutes after she met you. Yeah. And like, could you imagine being on the ground and seeing this shit just start falling from the sky out of nowhere?
1: Oh yeah, you're just outside selling baguettes and you look over and you're like, oh no.
0: You zip through the city on the sky rail and the black mass can be seen flying around you, eventually crashing through the sky rail you're on sending you and Elizabeth plummeting down. You spin out of control, no longer holding Elizabeth, and splash down into a pool of water. The black mass descends, and we can finally make it out. It's a gigantic, robotic bird, as it has wings, but also two giant arms. Ah. It dives into the water after you, and once it's under, it starts to freak out. And we can see its glass yellow eye start to crack. (sighs) So it leaves the water, and you pass out once more. Which, you keep passing out in water.
1: In like still water. That's a terrible place to not be conscious.
0: Worst place to pass out. You wake up in your office again, and the door pounding, and the voice telling you to bring us the girl to erase the debt. Elizabeth is in the room with you this time, and she is repeating, Bring us the girl and erase the debt to herself. You keep asking the voice on the other side of the door what they intend to do with Elizabeth. They tell you that's not part of the deal, DeWitt. Now open the door.
1: It's just some casual human trafficking. <laughs> Don't worry about what's on the other side of the door.
0: Well, you start yelling, Anna? Anna? And then you open the door, which brings you back to reality.
1: Oh, Anna.
0: While you come to, you keep repeating the name Anna. Anna? as your vision returns. But you see Elizabeth standing over you saying, she's not Anna, she's Elizabeth. She rouses you back to your feet, and you can see that she's wearing a sewing thimble on her right pinky finger.
1: Like as an accessory?
0: As like an accessory, yeah. She says that she can hear music, and she takes off excitedly towards it.
1: She has never been outside before. This is Bubble Boy. (laughs) Yeah, right?
0: (laughs) You get up and look around to find you're on a makeshift beach with water lapping in the sand. People are sunbathing in very modest attire.
1: Like those strapey bathing suits. Yeah. (laughs) I love that old-timey aesthetic. Hell yeah.
0: You can't find Elizabeth and keep asking people if they saw her saying, I'm looking for a young girl.
1: Which is not a good icebreaker.
0: Right. And like she's 19, which is young, but the way he's asking sounds really creepy. I'm looking for a young lady.
1: (laughs) No, fucker, no!
0: Well, it's not as creepy as the guy who responds, who isn't, am I right? (laughs) Ah,
1: all men are men.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As you look for her, you see an advertisement for a museum attraction. It's Comstock's personal airship, called the First Lady. And when it's docked, people can tour it.
1: It's a little creepy when people name planes and boats after women, right?
0: I think they're all inherently female, actually. Why, yeah, I don't know why that is, but yeah, I think all boats are inherently female.
1: My car's name is Cow (laughs) Bear, they are a non gendered entity, (laughs) and there's a little crow that lives inside of it. This
0: is 1912. Non gendered entities weren't a popular thing yet.
1: Oh, they weren't, yeah, they weren't really in the zeitgeist, I suppose, at this floating city
0: <laughs> in the christo fascist state
1: <laughs> you're allowed to remind me this is a video game <laughs> if i get too spun up like i don't do well with fantasy
0: <laughs> no you don't you know
1: like i see a dragon my mind goes blank i'm like i'm out <laughs> you've been playing baldur's gate and like i we're not going to do it for the show because it's D. it's
0: too much yeah it's
1: too much there's too many threads but i walk by and i'm like That don't make sense. (laughs) I know it covers horror and other things, but they're usually rooted in like metaphor. What's the metaphor for dragon? Shit is difficult. (laughs) I can't. I can't. So I need you to bring me down to reality. Sometimes remind me we are literally discussing ridiculous fiction.
0: So back in this flying city.
1: Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Need you to ground me by reminding me we're in the sky.
0: You decide that the first lady is going to be your ticket out of here once you find Elizabeth. Elizabeth's on a boardwalk, dancing to some music being played by a street band. She's
1: just dancing by herself, too, yeah. right? She's spinning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she asks you to dance with her, and you tell her, not a chance in hell.
1: If you've ever had to wrangle a drunk friend to get in the Uber.
0: Off the dance floor.
1: This is exactly what the sequence is.
0: <laughs> You're literally like, now, come on, let's go.
1: And she's like, no, one more drink. <laughs> one more. <laughs> Hold on, wait, five more minutes. <laughs> I can make these jokes because I have fully been that friend.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You have.
1: I I know the voice came a little too natural, but I've fully been like, yeah, let me just, I'm in a vibe. And my friends are like, it's 3 a.m. We're going to kill you.
0: Yeah, and Elizabeth doesn't want to go with you. She just wants to dance.
1: When you're 19, I get it.
0: But you see the first lady airship flying by and see that it's about to dock. You ask Elizabeth if she wants to go to Paris. And she says very excitedly that of course she does.
1: You've known me for 15 minutes. I like two things. Dancing in Paris.
0: You point at the first lady and tell her that it's going to Paris on its next trip. So the two of you have a flight to catch.
1: What's she gonna do? Fucking fact check me?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Elizabeth is the very definition of born sexy yesterday. Mm -hmm. Which is a critique in media for when a character is an attractive adult man or woman who for one reason or another is brand new to the world and is therefore needing to be taught the most basic things in life. But anyway, now that you've lied to Elizabeth about the airship.
1: (laughs) Great way to start this relationship.
0: The two of you run off to catch it and go to the museum where it's docked. On your way, Elizabeth looks at you and says, you don't look so great and she'll look for some health packs for you. You look like shit, dude. Well, this begins her real use to you in the game and the inspiration for so many games to come.
1: Mm -hmm. So many Troy Baker games.
0: Yeah, right? Yeah, (laughs) she's your teen sidekick who helps you in battle. Prior to this, I know we talked about Bioshock 2 more or less starting this trend with Alpha and Eleanor, Mm -hmm. but like, we wouldn't have the Joel and Ellie or Kratos and Boy without Booker and Elizabeth.
1: I appreciate that you're looping Kratos and Boy into this. (laughs) He fully has a name, but the only name we will recognize is what Kratos
0: calls him. Right, his name's Boy. Boy. And yeah, we talked about earlier how they had to invent new technology for Elizabeth, and it was a major reason for some of these delays that the game faced. Yeah. Because if Elizabeth didn't work as a sidekick, this game didn't work at all.
1: Because she's part of your resource management.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And Elizabeth isn't a fighting sidekick like we see in these future games. Mm -hmm. She's here to lend an assist when the going gets tough, as she'll throw you ammo, health, and salts when you're running low. And many times she'll save your ass just at the right time.
1: She is the equivalent of a barback. She's like, I'm here to help keep your shit up to, like, par of what you need to do your job.
0: Yeah. And if you die in battle, she'll drag your body to a safe location and revive you. And this replaces the Vita Chambers from the first two games. Also, the sidekick technology is not the only advancement that was made as a result of Elizabeth.
1: Now, I think these are done in the Unreal Engine, right? So they didn't build an engine ground up for these. They just kind of modded things to be specific to the gameplay.
0: They used Unreal Engine 3, and they did add their own mods to it, yeah.
1: Okay, so they had to do a lot of like precision, but it's not like they had to take the undertaking of building a fucking entire engine ground up.
0: They didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> i not saying nobody did.
1: Okay. Because, you know, like, Rockstar uses the RAGE engine. Um, the Rockstar Action Games engine, I think, is what right. the acronym is. And that's why Grand Theft Auto takes 10 years to build. Because they are literally tweaking the foundation of everything going along. Relatively, in comparison, the Bioshock games are coming out pretty quickly back to back. Yeah. Like, with the exception of the alleged four, obviously. <laughs> so that's also why it's so impressive, is that they're taking... Kind of a stock build and customizing it to create these very specific use cases in-game.
0: Yeah, absolutely they did. And Elizabeth forced another company entirely to kind of do the same thing. Whoa, what? A company that had nothing to do with this game whatsoever.
1: Was still majorly impacted by it?
0: So Elizabeth became such a popular character. People fantasize about having sex with her.
1: I don't love where this is going.
0: Well, the demand for pornography featuring Elizabeth skyrocketed. Mm. And outside Pixar and DreamWorks, nobody was making 3D animation with any realism, so the porn industry didn't have anything to offer other than, like, cosplay. Right. Now, throughout history, horniness has made people do crazy things, and a company that was literally weeks away from declaring bankruptcy decided to pull one last Hail Mary to save the company.
1: I am so... Taken aback by the tone that this episode has taken. It takes
0: a wild turn, but we're getting there, and it's pretty fascinating. Uh Uh-huh. They pushed through some upgrades to their freeware animation program called Blender.
1: Oh my god, this is Blender?
0: And it made it possible for people to make high-quality pornography of 3D animated characters. And
1: specifically because of the rise of Elizabeth?
0: Because of Elizabeth. Today, video game character pornography is so insanely common, and Blender is considered one of the absolute best 3D rendering programs available across all mediums, not just porn. Yeah. All thanks to Elizabeth.
1: I'm upset. The look
0: on your face is so, like, (laughs) stink face. Like, why?
1: I'm upset. (laughs) I'm upset. Um,
0: But yeah, Blender was about to go out of business.
1: And then Elizabeth's pussy <laughs> revitalized this company, which I'm recognizing as like this shows up on people's resumes of like I'm a I'm a creator. This is something I it's like knowing fucking Python. Yeah. You know? What the fuck? Why did we take this turn here? <laughs> I don't I know. Like... <laughs> it's just so
0: wild that just like just the existence of Elizabeth has just Done so much for technology, weirdly, in so many different avenues.
1: The reliance on hentai up until this point, <laughs> and then bringing in Blender to, you know, I guess diversify the content of cartoon porn we're doing. Yeah, I'm not king shaming. You know no. what i I look at I look at adult websites. <laughs> I've got some bookmarks, but like the fact that the horniness of a Bioshock game mm-hmm. is what revitalized a company which is a leader in animation services and suites today. Yeah. Like, if Adobe came around because people wanted to like, jerk off on a waifu pillow, that's fucking crazy.
0: (laughs) You want to hear what's the craziest? Who would you say is the number one top search for uh, video game character now? D.Va
1: from Overwatch.
0: It's not, actually.
1: Really? I feel like I've seen so much. I don't want to reveal too much about myself. (laughs) I don't look at Overwatch porn. (laughs) I just feel like I see the ads on the side of the web I I don't I feel vulnerable okay I, I'm sorry I'm not trying to put you on the place
0: or her. anything like that <laughs> 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 not putting you on the spot but no actually diva's like number three or four okay number one is Chun-Li not from Street Fighter oh from Fortnite. <laughs> i'm sorry what the fuck is she hotter in Fortnite? i guess i don't know but i think it's Pull just that it's side more, by side. i think it's more relevant and people search for chun li from Fortnite more than they search for chun li from street fighter
1: the kids aren't all right. already. <laughs> just as an older gamer like that's upsetting <laughs> wait i i do need to see if she's like pack and puss
0: (laughs) better than you can do that off air
1: you want me to say pack and puss off air (laughs) okay i didn't like that i took a turn i am bewildered by this (laughs) the fact that the cultural impact of bioshock revitalized an entire genre of animation within a suite of services and didn't get like game of the year (laughs) it's still not the most impactful game of 2013
0: yeah right
1: (laughs) that's fucking crazy.
0: Well, anyway, back in Colombia, The two of you are heading to the museum, and you run into Rosalind Lutess and the man that's always with her. They're each holding a red pillow, and on each pillow is a necklace, hmm. one with a bird and one with a cage. You choose one, and Elizabeth wears it around her neck for the rest of the game.
1: I thought this would be crazy impactful, and I genuinely sweated on this.
0: <laughs> Which like, is the right choice, isn't I was it? like,
1: well, there's symbolism in both.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. There is absolutely. One's freedom, and one is being held captive.
1: It, it, it symbolizes so much. It's the captor. It's the cage. <sighs> I, I really What sat does it in. all mean? Yeah, what does it all mean?
0: <laughs> I
1: stared at that for a minute, being like, fuck.
0: You enter a penny arcade, and there's people playing games and watching those little flip movies.
1: Kind of like the museum mechanique in San Francisco.
0: Yeah. There's also Marionette dolls that will tell a little story. Elizabeth runs up to one of the machines and goes, Oh, the latest in the series. I heard it got delayed three times before they could release it. Wow.
1: <laughs> I didn't know they had a meta moment in yeah, there. That's right? funny. They're like, and that motherfucker's name? Rod.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fucking Rod. <laughs> Fucking Rod! <laughs> You finally get to the ticket counter and ask for two tickets to see the first lady. The guy behind the counter is on the phone talking in low tones. And when you ask him to hurry up, he jams a knife into your hand, straight through to the countertop.
1: That's, so, that's some Sadie Adler shit.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> the whole hall is suddenly filled with Cops. And you realize that the word is officially out about you and Elizabeth being free in Columbia.
1: Okay, so you're 0 for 2 on your two objectives. (laughs) Which was don't pick 77 and don't let Comstock know you're there. And you immediately did both. Yeah, you failed. Yeah.
0: Alright. You pull out your gun and kill the cops and save Elizabeth from harm. But she doesn't see it that way. She's terrified of you and runs off.
1: This murderer broke my house. (laughs) Right and won't let me dance. I just want to dance. And then
0: killed a bunch of cops.
1: Yeah, she she has every right to not feel safe.
0: When you catch up to her, she's on a tram that will take you to the airship. She yells at you, calling you a monster for killing those cops. You explain that she was locked in a tower made of pure gold. The people who did that have the resources to go to literally any length to get her back. Mm -hmm. If she's going to escape Columbia, People are gonna die, which she's not stoked about, but she realizes the two of you are almost out of here, so she probably won't have to deal with the death much longer.
1: (laughs) She's making some very quick decisions and
0: pivots. (laughs) She doesn't have a lot of real-world experience yet, to her credit.
1: She doesn't, but she's very adaptive, which I can appreciate in a sidekick.
0: The tram you're on docks at the airship exhibit, and the two of you get off. There's a door blocking your way, and you need to find a Vigor called Shock Jockey to open it. And this is your electricity power that absolutely deserves a bio shot, as it's such a classic power.
1: Oh yeah, it's the first one you get in the first game. It is, yeah. It feels natural to have.
0: Yeah. In order to get Shock Jockey, you need to go to an exhibit called the Hall of Heroes, where free samples are available. (laughs) The exhibit is closed, so the two of you break in. You take an elevator down to the exhibit and inside the elevator is a big poster that takes up most of the wall, and it depicts the giant black bird from before. It's in silhouette with rays of light behind it and the one glowing yellow eye piercing the black body of the winged creature. Around the picture it says, Sing praise to the songbird, for he is the protector of the lamb. As you descend, the elevator jerks to a halt. You go to mess with the circuits in order to try to get it going again. While you're doing that, you hear a buzzing sound. And Elizabeth says, there's a bee in the elevator with you. You tell her to kill it, and she says, well, she has a better idea. She does that thing with her hands again, where she opens a curtain in the fabric of reality. (laughs) Right where the songbird poster is. The tear opens, and you're looking at a kitchen window with a little flower box on the outside of it. Elizabeth says she learned she could do this in her tower. Most of the time, it's the same as the place she's already in, but a slight difference, like the color of the room is different. Hmm. Other times, it's something incredible that she's not expecting. As she's saying this, she sees something beyond the window. It's Songbird.
1: Through the window.
0: Through the window. Ah. And he sees Elizabeth. The two of you start freaking out, and Songbird flies straight at the window, screeching as it does. You tell Elizabeth to close the tear, And she does so just as Songbird fills the window.
1: She should have just killed the goddamn bee.
0: And is replaced by the giant poster of Songbird instead.
1: So good. Oh,
0: that visual is incredible. As the chaos ends, the door to the elevator opens, and the two of you get out. From here out, Elizabeth can open small tears when you're in battle, sometimes revealing ammo and health crates, sometimes revealing turrets and other things to help you in battle. You make it to the Hall of Heroes and you see immediately why it's closed. Someone has vandalized this place. Instead of saying Hall of Heroes, someone has painted a big red W and rearranged the letters to say Hall of Whores. Hell yeah! A man named Captain Cornelius Slate has taken over the Hall of Whores, and he doesn't want anyone inside. You tell Elizabeth that you actually knew this guy down below. Oh, shit? You fought in the war together.
1: Oh, shit.
0: He was an asshole back then, too. Clearly not much has changed. Hmm. You go inside, and you find a giant monument to Comstock, declaring him the commander of the 7th Cavalry. And you say, that's bullshit. You were in the 7th Cavalry, and you never heard of this guy until you got here. Comstock clearly has lied to the people of Columbia about his military service. Slate yells at you over a PA system, saying he remembers you. And you were always a good little soldier who did what he was told. And clearly, you've been sent by Comstock to stop him. You assure him that's not the case. You're just here for the shock jockey. He doesn't believe you and sends his boys in after you. When you kill them, Slate says, see, you killed my men. You're still the same soldier. Here to do the man's bidding.
1: (laughs) What a bitch.
0: (laughs) Like, also, that is what a soldier's supposed to do. Like...
1: That's so, the job. So you're admitting you're bad at the job? Right.
0: <laughs> he tells you to meet him in Wounded Knee and Peking, which are exhibits here in the Hall of Horrors. You can do them in any order, but we're going with Wounded Knee first. It's a walkthrough exhibit, kind of like a live-action pop-up book with plywood cutouts of Native Americans jumping out and attacking as you traverse through it. Making very insensitively racially stereotyped sounds as they do. Slate comes over the PA to talk to Elizabeth. Slate asks if she wants to learn about the real person she's traveling with right now. She asks what he means, and you tell her she doesn't want to know. You come upon a big George Washington animatronic, and there's a lever in front of it. You pull it, and it says a little poem to describe the events of Wounded Knee. With hue and cry, with hatchet red, they danced amongst our noble dead. But when our soldiers took the field, the savage horde could only yield. The final section of the walkthrough is a room bathed in red, with Native American statues looming over the scene in gross caricatures. In the center stands a statue of Comstock, holding the head of one of the natives high in the air. Elizabeth says she can tell by the look on your face. You were there that day, weren't you?
1: Oh, God.
0: Slate says he can still hear the screams. Can you? And then he sends in his goons to fight you.
1: This is why we need therapy for PTSD. Right? Like, like, holy holy shit.
0: When you defeat them, you yell at the PA to please give you the shock jockey so you can leave. Slate says, do you see how Comstock is trying to steal our glory, though? Do you see how he's rewriting history? He says to come to the Boxer Rebellion exhibit if you want to meet up, which is a battle that happened in Peking, China. And both the Battle at Wounded Knee and the Boxer Rebellion are real events in history this game has co-opted.
1: Oh shit, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, if Comstock can write his own fucking uh, version of it, so can (laughs) we.
0: When you get there, it's the same kind of exhibit. Racist depictions of Chinese people. Slate says that he was the one who set the first torch that eventually leveled the city in fire. But again, Comstock is here, taking all the glory for himself when he wasn't even fucking there.
1: Comstock's like, it was Comstock the whole time.
0: (laughs) Again, you find a Washington animatronic with another poem. Honestly, this one's way more racist and I apologize in advance. Oh no. Twas yellow skin and slanted eyes. I'm out. That did betray us with their lies. Until they crossed the righteous path of our prophet's holy wrath. The end of the exhibit is very similar to the last one with a battle scene. Elizabeth says she remembers reading about this battle in one of her books. Comstock led his forces to, but Slate screams out, Comstock wasn't there. Slate lost an eye and 30 friends that day. But nowhere in this fucking memorial do they even mention he was there. It's all about Comstock.
1: Holy shit.
0: Comstock is stealing Slate's life story and claiming it as his own. Slate says to come to Lady Comstock's memorial, and there he'll give you the shock jockey. If you think it's wild how much Comstock has altered Slate's history, wait till you see how he's altered his own. Uh Uh-oh. You get to the memorial exhibit, and there's statues of her holding a baby in her arms. A plaque says that she had a miracle pregnancy and found herself pregnant only a single week. She gave birth to a very sick child and prayed for her life. Elizabeth says that in all the books she's ever read about Lady Comstock, this is the first she's ever heard about her having a child. Oh. And you tell her that can't be a mistake. The next room has a statue of Comstock walking the baby towards a giant, golden, winged statue. A recording of Comstock's voice rings out saying that someone named Daisy Fitzroy has murdered his wife. (laughs) and now he has to protect their only child and hide her away from Fitzroy and her mob. He then repeats something we heard earlier. The seed of the prophet shall sit the throne and drown in flame the mountains of man. Elizabeth starts panicking as she realizes.
1: Oh no, that's me!
0: She's Comstock's fucking daughter.
1: She didn't know that prior?
0: She had no fucking clue. She gets angry and refuses to believe it. But you're like, yeah, this is definitely your origin story.
1: (laughs) He's like, there wouldn't be a reason you're in a tower that's not related to this.
0: (laughs) Comstock wants Elizabeth to follow in his footsteps one day and rule over Columbia and eventually the world below. Elizabeth says, well, I want a puppy, but it doesn't mean I'm going to get one. (laughs) The next room shows the mysterious Daisy Fitzroy in statue form holding a red rope peering around a curtain, as a statue of Lady Comstock kneels down, praying. The next room shows Comstock chasing after Daisy Fitzroy and her gang of followers, saying that he pursues them to this day. After some battles with goons, you find Slate, wounded and defeated, laying on the ground with a bottle of shock jockey next to him. You approach him, and he asks you to finish the job, and you have the choice of killing him or sparing him. But now you have the shock jockey, and you head back to the airship exhibit so you can hijack it and fly out of here. Comstock tries to turn Elizabeth against you over the public PA system, saying that a killer like DeWitt will abandon her the moment he gets paid.
1: That's the job.
0: So she wants to get to know you a little better. And through the game, the two of you exchange some life stories. You tell her that you're a gambling drunk, and the people who hired you were willing to pay off a huge debt you owed from being a gambling drunk.
1: I appreciate that he's honest.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You're not here out of the kindness of your own heart, but you will make sure she gets off Columbia live because otherwise you won't get paid.
1: (laughs) This is monetary. And Elizabeth's like, cool, 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 cool. What
0: the fuck? (laughs) So Comstock's telling me the truth. All right. um, But you seem nice. Kind of.
1: He at least is invested in me, not dying.
0: Yeah, he did get me out of that tower. That's it's, the very least.
1: It's the baseline for companionship is wanting them to not die. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Elizabeth wonders how Comstock knew you would come here because those signs with your hand on it. That's pretty fucking weird.
1: Right. Like a specific tattoo. I think it's weird when I see my tattoos on other people. Like, yeah. When I'm like, oh, we both have this weird matching thing. That's crazy to see propaganda.
0: Yeah. Purifying. Right. Fine. You joke that he is a prophet after all. But the likely reason is that whoever hired you also tipped Comstock off for some fucking reason.
1: Yeah, and like we said, Booker's not that funny, so (laughs) (laughs) it's not a charming moment. He's just like, huh, that's crazy.
0: Well, finally, the two of you make it to the First Lady airship, and you enter the cockpit. It's completely empty and ready to fly, so you take to the controls and start entering coordinates. Elizabeth is giddy, super excited to go to Paris. But her excitement vanishes. When she sees the coordinates, she says, 40 North, 74 West. That's not Paris. That's New York.
1: This bitch knows coordinates. You
0: go, how the fuck did you know that? Yeah.
1: (laughs) Valid question.
0: And she reminds you she's a Paris super fan who had nothing but books and time on her hands. She learned the coordinates of all major cities just for fun.
1: Oh, God.
0: She begins crying, realizing she should never have trusted you.
1: Yeah, don't trust the guy that falls into your house and then breaks it.
0: You go to comfort her, and she whips around and knocks you out with a pipe wrench she found nearby.
1: Hell yeah, would you kindly pick that up and defend yourself? (laughs) That's my girl.
0: Yeah, go ahead and take a bio shot for that one.
1: That one's well deserved.
0: You come in and out of consciousness, and you see her resetting the coordinates for Paris.
1: Good. She waited until you were concussed to hit that.
0: You start hearing a chanting song and other Zeppelins flying outside the window. Elizabeth looks scared, and you watch her leave the cockpit, leaving you behind.
1: She bails!
0: The chanting song gets louder, and it's reminiscent of, like, a sea shanty, but more depressing. Oh, no. The people don't sound happy singing this song. We next see a group of people enter the ship, wearing ratty clothing and looking beat up. You come to flying over a group of prisoners hacking away at big-ass boulders being watched over by a flexing handyman robot. The prisoners are the ones singing, as it's a chain gang song, reminiscent of old slave songs, as slavery had only ended about 50 years earlier. Oh my god. And of course, every one of the prisoners here is black, Mm. guilty of being black on a Friday night. Ugh. You finally wake up, only to be knocked out again by one of the people who had just boarded your stolen ship. You wake up again in an infirmary, and Daisy Fitzroy is standing nearby. Oh, shit. Saying, you must be the false shepherd everyone's talking about. You tell her to get the hell off your ship, and she makes you realize you're vastly outnumbered right now. (laughs) You tell her you have no issue with the Vox Populi or her cause. You just want to leave. She says you can have your ship if you help the Vox first. Unless you cheer for the rich white men that will never give a shit about you and will keep you down as long as they can.
1: They really couldn't hide bias on this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know you said that there there was an effort made. Right. No, there wasn't.
0: Well, you have no political opinion on the matter, but agree to help her so you can get your ship back. She tells you there's a gunsmith in town, and she wants you to go get her a bunch of weapons so the Vox can take down Comstock for good. Hell yeah. You agree, and she says good, and then pushes you out of the airship.
1: Just pushes you.
0: Yeah, but you fall a whopping... Eight feet. Oh, okay. (laughs) You are
1: in the sky, so (laughs) a surprise push can be real dangerous. I think
0: she wanted to scare the shit out of you, but also not put you in any real danger.
1: She's fun. I like her.
0: (laughs) So you head off to find this weapon maker who is named Chen Lin. But you don't have Elizabeth, and you have no idea where she went. So you decide your best course of action is to find her first, because without her, escape is pointless.
1: Yeah, she's the point of the thing.
0: You find her as she's being thrown off a transport barge she tried to stow away onto.
1: Just actively getting kicked out of something? That's
0: great.
1: When you're coming down the street, you see your friend getting kicked out of the bar, and you're like, god (laughs) damn it.
0: As soon as she sees you, though, she runs. As you chase her, she keeps opening tears to try to get in your way, using things like a parade and a train going by to block your path. And when she reaches a dead end, she opens a tear through the wall to the other side.
1: That's so cool.
0: You continue chasing, but get ambushed by a handyman who picks you up and yeets you off the platform into the open air.
1: That's not very handy, man.
0: No, and there are no sky rails beneath you to be seen.
1: Oh, shit. So he, like, where fucking Vox Populi Baby Girl just pushed you a little bit, he's like, I'm coming for blood.
0: Yeah. Out of nowhere, a tear opens, and you land on top of a Zeppelin's balloon. It floats you to where Elizabeth is standing, and you tell her that you can get the First Lady back.
1: Also, what luck?
0: (laughs) No, she did that on purpose. Okay. All you have to do is arm an insurrection to help them overthrow the government.
1: That's it. We just have to help January 6th. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) But different.
0: Elizabeth says that while she doesn't love the idea of teaming up with you again, you're literally the only person she knows that didn't keep her trapped in a cage her whole life.
1: She doesn't have great options, is what she wants to communicate yeah. to you. She's like, I'm doing this, but I'm not happy about it.
0: So she agrees to go with you, but she turns the attitude around on you. Oh. Now she tells you that she's using you for her needs.
1: I'm in control.
0: Yeah, it's not the other way around anymore.
1: You know what? Whatever helps you. She's, she's navigating a lot right yeah.
0: now.
1: <laughs> There's a lot to unpack.
0: The gunsmith is located in a section of Columbia, called finkton it's owned and run by a man named jeremiah fink who owns fink manufacturing
1: he is exactly what you'd s- like he's like a pft character
0: yeah he dresses like an old-timey snake oil salesman with a thin mustache and black top hat
1: he's the strange man from red dead yeah
0: he is and he talks like andrea's joey drew impression
1: what do you mean <laughs> <laughs>
0: that guy yeah and it's actually the man who was running the raffle earlier in the game
1: i put propellers on my refrigerator. Now I can eat on the go. (laughs) Shit like that. Yeah, Yeah, that's how he
0: talks. As you take an elevator into Finkton proper, you get some propaganda fed directly to you. Fink says that he admires the bumblebee. You never see a bee take a vacation or a sick day. All they do is work. So be the bee is what he always says.
1: Be the bee.
0: He also talks about why his employees make Fink bucks instead of the currency of Columbia.
1: Oh, he's evil evil.
0: He says he doesn't want his employees being ripped off at the shops in town. And by offering company stores, he can keep prices low. And his employees don't have to go far to make their purchases.
1: Oh, it's so evil.
0: Everyone wins. Then a phone inside the elevator rings. On the other end is Fink himself. He says that he's been keeping an eye on you while you've been going around Columbia.
1: I'll keep my opticals on you, boy.
0: And he thinks you'd be a perfect candidate.
1: My say, would you like to partner up with me? I'm going to translate for
0: you. (laughs) Thank you. Gotcha. (laughs) You have no idea what he's talking about, but you're going in anyway, so you go along with it. Once inside Finkton, you find Lin's shop pretty quickly and go in. Exploring the shop, you see a little Buddha worship shrine. And say that Comstock probably isn't a fan of that one bit. Yeah. But Elizabeth goes on to tell you about a book she read all about Buddha and how he sat outside of a tree for a long time until he became Buddha. Yeah. It's called Siddhartha. You should probably read it. It's like 15 minutes.
1: We did in high school. Yeah. Did you guys read shit like that in high school or was your religion class just like the one religion? No, I didn't read
0: that till college. okay. (laughs) (laughs) You search and search the shop, but it's been ransacked. No weapons, no ammo, nothing. Elizabeth hears crying and heads toward it. At the Buddha shrine, you find a woman weeping. It's Lynn's wife. Oh. And she says that people came and took her husband to a place called the Good Time Club.
1: That doesn't sound like a good time if you go against your will.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Fortunately, the Good Time Club is a grueling hundred yards away. (laughs) You get inside and Fink comes over the PA saying that you are doing great with this interview so far.
1: I say, Charlie, you're really impressing me with your chaps.
0: You ask what the fuck he means, and he says that he's been having issues with his employees wanting silly little things like workers' rights and shit like that.
1: It's hard being a dictator these days.
0: But a former Pinkerton like yourself? One he has watched kill his way across Colombia, Well, he could use a brute like that to put his people back in line.
1: I want to be a billionaire, and I love cops. Yeah, this is just immediately... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the veil, the veil's real thin on what the allegories are here.
0: Well, real quick, we've talked about the Pinkertons before on the show in our Red Dead Redemption 2 episode. Mm-hmm. In those times, the Pinkertons were a kind of privatized army rich people could hire to force their bullshit through on people.
1: Yeah, through the Pinkerton Detective Agency, right? That was the official title? Yeah.
0: Well, in this era, Pinkertons were known as Union Busters. Oh, fuck you. When workers would try to unionize, Pinkertons would come in and beat them back down into submission and threaten people's families and homes and stuff like that.
1: Oh, just the worst person.
0: Yeah, real mafia shit.
1: Yeah, corporate mafia shit. Yeah, it's literally just to keep the rich richer, keep people from uprising and asking for, mm, I don't know, children to not work in mines and shit. Right.
0: <laughs> Elizabeth just keeps learning more and more about you. And she's liking you less and less as she does.
1: Reasonably so. Booker's not super fun to hang
0: out with. Yeah, it's hard not to side with her on some of these points. Booker is not a good person based on what we've learned.
1: No, he's a drunk gambler who lost it all on the ponies and loves murder.
0: Well, you as Booker have fortunately come to terms with most of your past at this point in your life.
1: You're like, babe, it's whatever. (laughs) You
0: even say, the world needs people like Daisy Fitzroy. To save it from people like yourself, Fink continues to test you, sending different groups to fight you so you can prove you're the right man for the union busting job. You go along with it as a ruse to continue deeper into the Good Time Club in order to find Lynn. Fink says he knows what you're doing, and that his deal is far greater than anything Daisy Fitzroy could offer. Besides, you didn't think it was gonna be that easy, did you? Hmm. <laughs> you find where they're keeping Lynn, and when the room he's in lights up, you can see that you're already too late.
1: Oh, fuck.
0: Lynn has been beaten to death. Oh. His face is just a swollen mess of red, black, and purple.
1: That's so sad. And
0: there's a swimming pool's worth of blood on the ground beneath him.
1: They're like, we were so gory in the first Bioshock. <laughs> we have to give him a little bit.
0: And your only reaction is, well, shit. Now where will we get the weapons?
1: How can I manipulate the situation if he's dead? <laughs>
0: Elizabeth says there has to be another way. There has to be something you can do. And you look at her and say, dead is dead, Elizabeth. As you say this, a light in the distance turns on. And underneath it is Rosalind Lutes and her male counterpart.
1: Oh no, they gonna say some crazy shit.
0: The man holds up a coin lengthwise at Rosalind and asks, what do you see? Rosalind responds, she sees heads. He says, he sees tails. Same coin different perspective heads dead tails alive elizabeth says she can see a tear here and she opens it to reveal another columbia in another universe and lynn's body isn't there the cell is just a storage room which means maybe lynn is still alive in that columbia What's really cool is Rosalind and the man are standing in the same spot in both universes still, repeating heads dead, tails alive, change the perspective.
1: Oh, that's cool.
0: Elizabeth says she thinks she can take you both through the tear and enter that universe. But she's not sure she can get you both back. You say, whatever. Only one way to find out.
1: (laughs) You went, this day can't get any weirder. We might as well, you know, open the multiverse.
0: And she opens that tear so wide It overtakes your world, and you enter a new one.
1: Oh, cool.
0: From here, you see this storage room filled with pro-Vox Populi propaganda. And you can hear a commotion outside. You realize that maybe a little more than just Lynn being alive will be different in this universe. As you go back out through the Good Time Club, you see some men that you had killed in your universe. They're freaking out, grabbing their heads, and fading in and out of existence. Whoa. You ask Elizabeth what's wrong with them and she says that by opening that tear she made them remember being dead in your universe
1: <laughs> that's so dark
0: yeah it was not something she knew would happen or expected
1: but she innately knows exactly what
0: happened <laughs> yeah you head back to Lynn's shop from here and it seems deserted when you head upstairs the buddha shrine is now a comstock shrine
1: oh god damn it
0: you find lin at the top of the shop and he's having the same problem those other guys were having. He seems to be talking to someone, though, and warning them about all the machinery everywhere and how dangerous it is. But there's nothing in this room except him. It's just a big empty space. You go back down to the shrine and find a white woman praying to Comstock. You ask if she's seen Mrs. Lynn, and she says that I'm Mrs. Lynn.
1: Oh, there's interracial marriage here!
0: The police came and took all her husband's tools. And without his tools, he's a broken man. Oh. So she asks you to go to Finkton's shantytown, where the police keep confiscated items. On your way, Elizabeth says she's noticed you looking at the thimble on her pinky. Which, if you look a little closer, you'll notice that it's also a lot shorter than a pinky finger should be. Oh, She says she doesn't know what happened to it, but the thimble keeps it hidden. Plus, she read that women in Paris wear them as a fashion item.
1: No, they don't. Okay. <laughs> Someone was trying to make her feel a little better, and they went, uh, oh, God, what's that shit
0: you It's like? all the rage in Paris. Yeah, they
1: went a little Truman Show, and they're like, let's <laughs> just put a ma- magazine out there that says this is cool so she feels less dumb
0: about <laughs> they it. They Truman Showed her. Yeah. <laughs> Shantytown is where the workers of Fink Manufacturing live. Company stores and broken people living on top of one another. Mm-hmm. You make your way to the police lockup and fight your way in until you find Lynn's tools. Lynn's tools turn out not to be a couple hammers and wrenches, but rather an entire workshop of heavy machinery. Hell yeah. Designed to make weapons from scratch. You're like, well, how the fuck do we get this back to Lynn's shop? Elizabeth says she can sense a tear here, and she opens it to reveal another Columbia universe. This one doesn't have the tools in the police lockup which means they would be back at Lynn's shop in that universe. Which also, they're just assuming Lynn is alive too in that universe, but fuck it, we've already come this far, and Elizabeth tears you into this third universe. (laughs) Why not? Here, the Vox Populi have already begun their revolution and have taken back Shantytown. You run into a Vox soldier, and he goes, Oh my god, you're Booker DeWitt, the hero of the Vox. Oh no. And then he runs off cheering.
1: Just is like, that's great. Ah!
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Like, if I ran up to Pedro Pascal and said, you're Pedro Pascal, and then just went, ah! And ran <laughs> away. <laughs> Same energy.
0: Elizabeth points to a poster on a wall. It's of you. Oh. And it's calling you the martyr of the revolution. Oh, no. You say you are starting to remember. You burn down the Hall of Heroes along with Slate. Then your vision goes blurry and your nose starts to bleed, because of course it does.
1: I appreciate that he did go on the stolen valor tear and was like, (laughs) honestly, Slate? Hell yeah, we were fucking there. Fuck this guy. Yeah.
0: You tell Elizabeth, you're starting to feel like those guys you saw earlier, who could remember being dead in another universe. Except in this world, Booker DeWitt already died, and you're starting to remember it happening.
1: Oh, that's creepy.
0: The two of you figure that by coming through to this Columbia... It means you did your job for Daisy Fitzroy, so she should give you the airship now, right?
1: We seem to be cool in this universe.
0: Elizabeth wonders if that deal was even made in this universe. Then she looks around at the revolution taking place and says, this is good. The people here deserve their freedom. Yeah. You tell her that they're just trading one tyrant for another. The only difference between Comstock and Fitzroy... It's how they spell their name.
1: Goddamn. Okay, he said, you know politics is puppetry, right?
0: Yeah. But yeah, you can see that attempt at making nobody necessarily the bad guy.
1: <laughs>
0: with this one line.
1: It, it's, bo- <laughs> it's, it's still valid. <laughs> yeah. But it's also very poorly. Yeah, I feel you. They, an attempt was made.
0: Yeah, an attempt was made, definitely.
1: Technically, to cross it off the fucking checklist. But yeah, I get you.
0: You make it back to Lynn's shop. But he and his wife are both dead.
1: Oh, God damn it!
0: Elizabeth starts freaking out, because now she's wondering, did she bring you two to another world? Or did she create this one entirely? Uh-oh. She insists that when she was opening this reality, she was concentrating hard on making sure it was a universe with Lynn alive.
1: Well, she fucked that up.
0: <laughs> you assure her, this isn't her fault. The only thing the two of you have done in this universe is step through into it. Anything happening here has nothing to do with the two of you. Because here, it doesn't matter if Lynn's alive or dead, the revolution's happening. Daisy has her weapons. So let's go to her, get our ship back, and get the fuck out of here. And it's not as easy as all that, because you're now a freedom fighter in this revolution.
1: Yeah, you're also in the middle of everything everywhere all at once on top of this.
0: (laughs) People are seeing that the famously dead Booker DeWitt has risen to help the Vox Populi overtake Finkton and then Columbia.
1: Yeah, we're we're confirming in this world that ghosts exist now. (laughs) There's just ghosts in here.
0: The Vox all chant your name and you eventually help them fight their way to Fink's office.
1: They're having a Jesus moment.
0: Yeah, they really are.
1: They're like, the martyr is back after days of being dead for our sins and shit. Like, this is actually going to turn them into the... Christian fascists in a couple generations. Right. If
0: you
1: think about it. Oh no, it's a cycle.
0: You're under the impression that Fink is going to have the means to take you to the First Lady airship. You get in an elevator to his office, and the phone inside rings. You pick it up and ask, Fink? But it's not Fink. It's Daisy Fitzroy. She says, There's no way you're Booker DeWitt. She watched him die. So, You're either an imposter or a ghost. Neither of which makes explaining you being here any easier.
1: But it's probably a ghost.
0: So she'd be better off with you gone, as you've proven very useful as a martyr to the cause. You continue up the elevator and eventually find Fink's office. You can see him up against a glass window, his back facing you. And he's begging for his life when his brains blow out the back of his skull. Ooh! Daisy is standing there, covered in blood. She takes her blood-covered hand and swipes it down her face like a fucking badass. Oh, that's so fucking cool. Then she says, kill the imposters and bury their bodies. You look around, and the Vox soldiers you'd been helping turn on you and attack.
1: In her defense... This is a world where they make, like, animatronic fucking George Washington and shit. <laughs> right? So she's, like, Comstock stepped his shit up, and he's trying to, like, send in an infiltrator martyr to, like, push out the wrong message or convert my fucking soldiers and shit. She has every right to not trust this situation.
0: Literally the plot of The Terminator.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks it's The Terminator. Yeah. Yeah, entirely. I feel you.
0: After killing her men, you hunt down Daisy again. You find her in a small room, holding Fink's nine-year-old son hostage at knife point. Oh! Elizabeth asks you to boost her up to a vent so she can drop in and open the door for you to get in. She just needs you to keep Daisy distracted at the window. So you boost her up and get to the window and call Daisy out on this plan. She's holding a kid hostage, but the kid's dad is already dead. What's the plan? Oh. She says, it's the only way this ends and then her face tenses up mm. she drops the knife and kid and falls down to the ground as we see Elizabeth standing behind her with a massive pair of sewing scissors covered in blood mm. having just stabbed Daisy in the back Ah oh. Daisy tries to get up but falls down dead mm. Elizabeth is fucking shook and starts panicking saying I guess this runs in the family <laughs>
1: That she did not plan this out. This just happened yeah. to her, and she's like, What did I do? And you're like, You fucking did it.
0: <laughs> she takes off running, sad and scared, and you chase after her. Fortunately, she runs straight to the first lady and boards it, but locks herself in one of its staterooms. You decide to leave her be, and you go to set new coordinates 78 North, 364 East, which is neither Paris nor New York.
1: Well, you're in a different world. Who knows where you're going?
0: It's actually a remote spot in northern Finland. Oh. And many people have speculated why Booker chose that location. Huh. Here's the thing. I don't think he did. I think that's Columbia's current location. Mmm. And I think that for a couple reasons. One, as this scene plays out and the ship is moving, you'll see the coordinates again, and they change slightly. Which leads me to believe it's the current location the ship is tracking.
1: It's a lifetime. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, That's cool.
0: Two, if Columbia is in Finland, then it puts it almost 1,500 miles directly due east of the coordinates in Bioshock 1 for where Rapture is located.
1: Oh, interesting. Which
0: is right between Iceland and Greenland. Mm. Anyway, Elizabeth finally comes out of the stateroom in a different set of clothes and a fresh haircut.
1: She said, this is the time for my makeover.
0: Knew me. Actually, she has your haircut, Andrea.
1: <laughs> She's got a fuck-ass bob? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah. The outfit is a white corset top with a blue overcoat and another long blue skirt. And this game could have really benefited from a single woman in the writer's room.
1: <sighs> you know what I love to do when I'm <laughs> running for my life? struggle to breathe in
0: <laughs> wear a corset
1: and the most confusing and like difficult to just put on outfit we were running out married i had like a corset top on my wedding dress two bitches had to help me get in that shit
0: <laughs> maybe there was a robot in there that tied it up for her they have a steampunk corset <laughs> robot well she asks you which will it be new york or paris before you can answer You hear a familiar set of pipe organs begin to play. Son of a bitch. And Elizabeth is terrified because that means Songbird has found you. Songbird comes flying in out of nowhere and crashes right into the front of the airship. He pops the balloon and throws the ship back down onto Columbia soil.
1: I love how clumsy he is.
0: Yeah, right?
1: He's like the Cloverfield monster, <laughs> just running and ramaging. Like, there's there's no grace to Songbird at None all.
0: None at all.
1: Which is kind of against what you think of when you think of, like, traditional bird imagery. They're, like, gentle and graceful. Graceful. This bird's like, fuck this shit, I'm a bowling ball.
0: <laughs> Wrecking ball. Yeah. You wake up in the crash ship. And you can hear Rosalind and her dude arguing over how to play a song on the piano. Hmm. Elizabeth tells you to hurry up and help her get out of the ship. The two of you need to stop them from finishing that song. Oh. As the song they're playing is the one that calls Songbird.
1: God damn it! Do anything else! Piano man! Fucking sweet Caroline! Let's do something!
0: Well, when they finish the song, Songbird doesn't come. Hmm. They say that the song is correct. But the instrument is not. Until you have both, the bird will not come. Mm. You ask, is there a song to keep the bird away?
1: (laughs) That seems more prevalent.
0: And they say, you should ask Comstock that question yourself. Then they vanish.
1: Son of a bitch.
0: Elizabeth says that the two of you should go to Comstock's house so you can make him tell you how to keep Songbird from attacking you. She goes on to explain how that song used to fill her with joy as a child. as songbird was her best friend. Bring her books and toys and food. When she got older, she tried to escape and discovered Songbird's true purpose, to keep her locked up.
1: Mm, she's but sheltered.
0: Just another one of Comstock's pets, and she has hated Songbird ever since. Ugh. Elizabeth wonders if prophecies are real, if Comstock really can see the future. You tell her about the vision you had of New York City, but a much larger New York than you know in your time and that it was being destroyed by Columbia. She hopes, even more so now, that prophecies aren't real. The two of you find a transport gondola to Constock House. And as it climbs, you see Rosalind and her friend playing baseball across the path of the gondola.
1: Just the two of them?
0: Yeah. Elizabeth says she finally realizes who Rosalind is. She's the woman who designed Columbia, basically.
1: Oh, shit!
0: She figured out how to make a city fly. They use quantum particles suspended in space-time at a fixed height.
1: They said some science shit
0: yeah, <laughs> to it's justify it. Mid-air science magic. It doesn't have to make sense, but it's not all balloons and dirigibles keeping the place floating.
1: Okay, there's science behind it somehow.
0: End of the day, Rosalind Lutess is the smartest person alive.
1: Women in STEM.
0: <laughs> As you continue up, you keep seeing the two on different platforms, constantly arguing with one another. Him saying, I told you they'd come. Her saying, no, you didn't. And him saying, well, I was going to tell you they were going to come. Mm-hmm. And she says, yes, but you didn't.
1: Their bickering is very cute. I will give you that. Oh, like,
0: it's so delightful.
1: Throughout the game, they are such a little ray of joy and levity and also some ominous shit occasionally. But Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you know they're up to shit. And... They are very fun.
0: At one point, you see them dancing together, and Rosalind asks, Is it weird that we finish each other's, and he says, sentences? I think it would be weirder if we didn't.
1: No, it's definitely weirder if you do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Elizabeth and you both agree, they're not right in the head.
1: And they're not romantic, too. I want to point that out. No,
0: it's not romantic dancing. Plus, they're just too confusing to figure out, so we might as well just keep going. Booker's still trying to wrap his head around the whole particle-floating thing anyway.
1: He's not a book-smart man.
0: No, he thought it was giant balloons the whole time himself.
1: (laughs) He's like, balloons float. City floats. (laughs) Big balloons for city. Got it.
0: As you're looking for a key into the next location, you hear a pipe organ start playing Songbird's old tune.
1: God damn it.
0: And Elizabeth makes you duck behind a giant desk. Songbird comes flying in, breaking the window. And this part is like in that first Lord of the Rings movie where the hobbits are hiding from the Nazgul under the tree and he's just like inches from them. And even if you haven't seen the movie, you've probably seen the meme of it all.
1: I don't know what the fuck you just said, (laughs) but sure, I get you. I played Bioshock Infinite.
0: Songbird's eyes cast a light beam around the room as it looks for you.
1: Oh, those horrible yellow eyes.
0: But you successfully hide and it takes off. Elizabeth says she needs you to make a promise to her. You tell her. You promised to stop both Comstock and Songbird. And she says, no, you can't make that promise. She takes your hand and puts it to her throat. She says she needs you to promise you won't let him take her back, no matter what it takes. Oh. Even if it means killing her. Wow. And you just say, it won't come to that.
1: (laughs) Plan B, but we're going to focus on plan A.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Let's not jump to that. You get attacked by some Vox trying to take down Comstock's house, and you have to fight your way through some of them, and you eventually make it to a section of the property that has been designated as a memorial. But there's a path from here into the house itself. You approach the gate and a robot voice says, Lady Comstock, so good to see you up and about. Oh, no. Especially after your death 19 years ago.
1: Ah, ghosts are real.
0: Well, Elizabeth says it must be the dress. It was her mother's after all.
1: Oh, because she was in the stateroom. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny.
0: The voice asks her to put her hand on a scanner and says that her fingerprints don't appear to be her own today. Is she sick? They don't appear to be your own today. <laughs> that's
1: funny. That's a real thing, though. When I got my fingertips tattooed, I had to rescan them into my phone to oh. unlock my phone. Wow, that's great. Because it actually messed up my fingerprints.
0: Elizabeth says her mom is in a tomb nearby. Let's go get her hand. So you head to the graveyard to find Lady Comstock's tomb.
1: This is so morbid. And
0: begin everyone who has ever played this game's least favorite part. In her tomb, her body has been preserved, and she looks like Snow White in her glass coffin, looking exactly as she did the day she died. Comstock's voice comes over a PA, and he yells at Elizabeth for following this false shepherd. He tried to warn her, but she just wouldn't listen. The lights shut off. And Elizabeth starts freaking out as waves of energy are pulled out of her.
1: Waves of energy?
0: Comstock says that a parent hates to see their child in pain, but spare the rod, spoil the child. If you won't listen to dad, maybe you'll listen to mom. Then Lady Comstock's spirit rises up out of her body and she flies out of the tomb and into the graveyard beyond.
1: I fucking hate this mission. Here's why. <laughs> The assault goes on for very long. So long. This is a grueling assault. They could have cut genuinely two rounds out and it would still be challenging. Mm -hmm. Two, lore reasons. There's a fucking ghost here now. (laughs) I was joking about Quicker coming back as the martyr ghost and Daisy's like, well, that's clearly not him. That's definitely a fucking steampunk fucking robot. Like, let's be real. Ghosts aren't real. I wish, Daisy. I fucking wish. Because now ghosts are real. And you know what? They work for billionaires. (laughs) This is a bad thing.
0: Well, you look at Elizabeth and go, why is your mom a ghost?
1: Yeah, great place to start.
0: And she says she's not. Comstock did something and forced her to use her powers to open a tear to another universe. Oh, no. One where her mom was evil, I guess. And floating? And angry. And when she came here, she remained in a limbo state between alive and dead. Oh, God. It's such a long-winded way of saying it's a ghost, but it's totally not a ghost.
1: I think I might have skipped that part, because in my head, it is truly burned. As <laughs> It is. And then you fight a fucking ghost, and that's when I was like, you know what? I don't like the reality of this one.
0: No, it's, it's such a bullshit way of trying to be like, it's totally not a ghost. It's totally a fucking ghost. Even though the first game kind of had ghosts with like... The atom that got mm. left over in the space. Like, they explained all the science behind it, and they you can't interact with them.
1: Yeah, it's just Spicer energy that's, like, in the world so you can put things together to be, like, batman and shit. Yeah. Nah, this shit, just ghost.
0: It's just a ghost that fights you.
1: This shit, just ghost.
0: Yeah, fuck Lady Comstock and her stupid ghost ass. Fuck
1: you, ghost bitch.
0: Even when you defeat her, she's not gone. And you need her hand still to open Comstock House.
1: Which is also so dark.
0: (laughs) By now, you've also come to realize that with all this universe hopping, Rosalind Lutess and the man that's always with her are actually the same person from different universes. And from here out, we see his name is Robert Lutess. They are in a graveyard doing mysterious shit like usual. (laughs) And they point you in the direction Lady Comstock's ghost went. The ghost that's totally not a ghost, as they keep reminding us, has some unfinished business here. You know. Like a ghost. That's
1: ghost activity <laughs> shit. Either you, you, you tie up your loose ends or you haunt billionaires into caring about people. What the fuck, bitch? You should have taken the Muppet Christmas Carol route.
0: Well, you chase after her as she leaves ghostly footprints behind. Footprints. Elizabeth says this is too weird. This lady Comstock can't be the real one. Nobody else has reacted to crossing universes like this. Eventually, you follow her to a laboratory, one with a big metal platform surrounded by wires and machinery. In the center of the platform is a small tear, and Elizabeth opens it wider to see the other side of it. She hears Lady Comstock yelling at Rosalind, calling her a whore. But Rosalind says she has no attraction to the prophet whatsoever. Plus, he's completely sterile.
1: I don't want your man and his dick doesn't work, Girls, Sit down.
0: <laughs> Lady Comstock asks, Then where the hell did this baby come from? Oh. Get it out of my house.
1: Oh, <gasps> bitch.
0: And Elizabeth realizes her mom was the one who sent her away to live in that tower. Aw. Ghost feet lead you to another tear. In this one, we hear Fink being asked to help get two people killed. <gasps> when he asks why... He's told it has to do with that child. At a third tear, we hear the man who hired Fink being confronted by the Lutesses. He says, you're supposed to be dead. And they say they are, but also not. Oh. You realize that Comstock was taking out anyone who knew about Elizabeth. Anyone who knew she wasn't really his daughter. Mm. Even his own wife. The ghost flies into a statue of Lady Comstock, and Elizabeth has a heart-to-heart with it. Elizabeth hated Lady Comstock for never being a mother to her. Lady Comstock hated Elizabeth because she thought her husband cheated on her. But now she knows the truth, that Elizabeth couldn't possibly be his, and that she's a victim just like everyone else that has come into contact with Comstock. Lady Comstock wants to know why she's here in this form. And Elizabeth explains that she must be from a universe where she and Comstock never met. Or maybe she saved him. Who knows, really? Hmm. She could also just be a manifestation of Elizabeth's regret and resentment, taking the form of her mother.
1: What if you're a metaphor?
0: Yeah, she really has no idea. With Lady Comstock's last bit of strength, she blows open the doors to Comstock House, and you and Elizabeth enter. Just on the other side, you run into Songbird, and he picks you up and tosses you into a wall.
1: Son of a bitch.
0: And you fall down unconscious once again. Bad bird. You wake up in your office, with Elizabeth standing in a corner, and Tesses standing in front of your office door, saying, bring us the girl, and wipe away the debt. You can't get to your office door to escape the concussion, but <laughs> there's another door in the office that, if you had tried earlier, wouldn't open. This time it does, and when you go through, you wake back up, having just been thrown through a building wall by Songbird. (laughs) Songbird tears the roof off the building and lands down on top of you. Elizabeth gets between you two, demanding he stops, but Songbird pushes her aside and raises its massive fist, ready to strike you. (laughs) It swings, and Elizabeth screams out, I'm sorry. This stops Songbird's fist inches from your face. Oof. She says she's sorry she left. She shouldn't have done that. And asks Songbird to take her back.
1: Oh, dummy.
0: Take her home. Songbird suddenly only has eyes for Elizabeth. And he takes hold of her and flies off as she reaches back to you helplessly in slow motion. Oh. On foot, you chase after Songbird heading toward the Columbia prison.
1: Just hauling ass behind a bird? (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) As you chase, she opens small tears near you so you can hear what she's saying to Songbird. He's not taking her to her tower, and she doesn't understand why. You finally get inside the prison, and in the foyer, you see something you don't expect.
1: Hmm.
0: A monument to Elizabeth, the savior. Oh, Her voice is speaking over a recording. She is the lamb that Comstock was raising. The Elizabeth in this universe is the daughter Comstock wanted. Oh. Your Elizabeth can be heard in a room nearby screaming out, not understanding what's going on. But she's not in the next room. It's another tear. Comstock is telling her he's going to cleanse her spirit because she's broken. You start to realize Elizabeth isn't really here. They have her in another time or another dimension or something. Oh shit. Because the doctor tells her DeWitt abandoned her six months ago.
1: Oh shit.
0: And you're like, I saw her 10 minutes ago. Yeah. What the hell is going on here? You eventually find an audio log, and it's from Elizabeth. In it, she says that her only hope is gone. But if she can bring him here, Maybe he can save everyone. Maybe he can stop all this from ever happening. You see another tear and head toward it. The tear disappears, leaving the Lutesses behind. You ask what the tears are, and they say you're asking the wrong question. It's not what, but when. Lives, lived, will live. Dies, died, will die. And then they vanish. You finally see Elizabeth standing alone nearby. She's in silhouette, and she calls out to you. She says she's completely lost control of the people here. They won't listen to her anymore. It took everything she had just to bring you here, and she offers you her hand. As you take it, you see that she's no longer 19. She's actually the inverse now, at 91. Oh. She pulls you closer, and you were taken back to that vision of a future New York being destroyed by Columbia. But this time, it's really happening. In the background, you can see a car advertisement saying the year is 1984. She says that she's responsible for all of this. That she became the lamb to rain down fire on the world below. Turns out, Comstock really was a prophet after all. And the only thing that really broke her was time. In time, she gave in and submitted to Comstock's wants and became the Lamb of the Prophet.
1: Honestly, she looks great at 91. She
0: does, right? You tell her that you never abandoned her, that you were coming to rescue her. She says you always try. And Songbird always stops you. It's no use. Which is why she pulled you from that time. You were never going to rescue her. Because you never do. In any of your attempts. In any of the universes. She says that the reason she brought you here is to give you the one thing you never had, a chance. She hands you a card and says to give it to Elizabeth. She'll know what it means. She waves her arms, and you find yourself back in 1912 in Comstock's house. You hear Elizabeth scream and realize you have a chance to save her. You burst into a room where two scientists are standing over her. And Comstock is watching from a platform above as she struggles to break free. They're trying to take control of her powers using the machinery in the room, so Comstock can use it himself. Then he won't need the lamb. So you set out to destroy the machine first and foremost, as all these people are behind bulletproof glass anyway. Comstock runs and hides while you do this. And when you finally destroy the machine, Elizabeth's powers are hers again. Hell yeah. She opens a tear to a farm right out of Kansas as a tornado is tearing through this little farm.
1: <laughs> You're about to get Wizard of Oz!
0: She opens the portal wide and the tornado tears the room apart, killing the two scientists holding her down.
1: Sending them to the fucking Emerald City.
0: <laughs> you go to her, and as she sits up, you see she has a gigantic syringe sticking out of her back. Oh! You yank it out, and she convulses and screams, Hmm. but eventually calms down. You hand her the card given to you by the older Elizabeth. It has some writing as well as a picture of a cage on it, but she doesn't know what the cage is supposed to mean. She reads the word portion and says it tells her that she becomes the lamb and destroys New York. Booker's dream was real, and it's all her fault. She says there's only one way to end this. She has to kill Comstock. Hell yeah. No escaping to Paris, not even New York. He's the one that turns her into that monster, so she needs to kill him before he can. Let's go. You tell her she doesn't need to. You guys can run and hide down below. And she looks you dead in the eye and says, What are you going to do to stop me?
1: (laughs) I can access the
0: multiverse, bitch. What are you going to (laughs) do? She opens a tear back up to the tornado. And you see it heading straight towards you. <laughs> you say you're not going to do a damn thing to stop her. There you go. Because you're going to do it for her.
1: Good job, Booker.
0: Elizabeth closes the tear, and the two of you partner up once again. Good. She says Comstock's new airship is parked outside, called the Hand of the Prophet. Ew. Hearing this, you realize it's probably been a long time since she last saw you, seeing as he built a new airship in that time. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't want to talk about how long it's been, but it's been a really long time.
1: That sucks.
0: You find a barge that will take you to the airship and board it. While on board, Elizabeth asks how it's possible to be redeemed for all the damage the two of you have done. And then she asks, Booker, are you afraid of God? Mm. And you respond, no, but I'm afraid of you. The barge docks with the hand of the prophet. And it's 20 times the size of the largest airship you've seen so far. Oh, shit. It's a flying mega yacht in the sky. It has multiple decks and security galore. Which you have to fight deck by deck, clearing them out as you go. Because, of course, Comstock is at the top deck and you entered at the bottom.
1: Big deck energy, I get (laughs) (laughs) it.
0: You make it to the top and enter his quarters. Upon entering, you see a mini replica of the golden statue but it's showing the insides of the statue. Underneath Elizabeth's living quarters is a big machine. She says she saw a very similar-looking machine in the graveyard, as well as in that lab you helped her escape. It's been draining her powers all this time. Oh, shit. She says it explains why her powers have gotten weaker with age. You ask what she means, and she says that she used to be able to open tears to anywhere her mind could imagine, instantly. But it's gotten progressively weaker with time, and now she can only open tears when she sees one is nearby. Before going to confront Comstock, you tell her to let you go in and do it alone. But she insists this is between her and him. You open a door, and his room in the airship is like the Hall of Whores. It has a stained glass depiction of Elizabeth, standing tall with people surrounding her worshiping her
1: oh my god he's like obsessed with her
0: and there's a little waterfall and river in here with a little grassy patch in the center all inside this fucking airship comstock is there in the flesh standing at a stone plinth with a large stone bowl like a birdbath christians will recognize it as a baptismal pool Hmm. he invites elizabeth in saying he won't bite and that he's impressed by how much she's grown He takes her by the hand and uses a sponge in the stone bowl to cleanse her skin. He says that he has been trying to protect her all this time, ever since the prophecy was revealed to him. The seed of the prophet shall sit the throne and drown in flame the mountains of man. But there was more to the prophecy. The archangel that gave it to him said to beware the false shepherd, Booker DeWitt. Ah, for he will stand between her and her destiny. So he attacked Booker. He went after him with everything he had, when all he needed to do was tell Elizabeth the truth. He grabs Elizabeth and says, Ask him, child. Ask him about your finger. Ask the false shepherd. You grab Comstock by the throat and say, You abandoned your daughter in a tower. You keep asking him if it was worth it and you slam his head down over and over into the side of the stone bowl. Hell yeah. Blood splattering everywhere. Coughing up blood, Comstock says, it's too late. It's finished. You flip him around and shove his face into the water, holding him down saying, you cut off her finger and now you're trying to blame it on me? You hold him down until he stops moving. Mm. And Elizabeth says he's dead. She asks about the finger. Why did he say that about her finger? What do you know? You say you don't know anything at all. You assumed she was born with it. She looks at you and says, "Your nose is bleeding." It's not that you don't know. It's that you don't remember. You've jumped so many universes. Your memories are a mess. Doesn't matter. As the Vox have arrived and they start boarding the ship, thinking Comstock is on it and you're working with him. Elizabeth finally realizes what the picture of the cage means on the note from her future self. It's not a word, it's a song. C A G E. Oh. It's how you control Songbird.
1: It's the notes.
0: From the pipe organ, yeah. Yeah. So you find the pipe organ Comstock uses to control Songbird and play the notes. Songbird swoops in, shattering the window to the outside. Just
1: clumsy as fuck every time. (laughs) There is not a time this guy has landed well.
0: Elizabeth asks it to help her this one last time, and it agrees. You fight off the Vox, using Songbird to fly in and take out their support ships. It's really fucking cool and an epically long battle. After you win, you take the ship to what remains of the golden statue. Only the top section was destroyed when you rescued Elizabeth. The bottom section still houses the machine that absorbs her power. She says if you use Songbird to destroy the machine, it'll release her powers. And then she'll be able to open any tear she wants. Including to the one that can restore your memory to find out what happened to her finger and what Comstock was talking about. Yeah. You use a little pipe flute to call in Songbird, and it destroys the rest of the statue. An explosion of power comes from it, and you can see Elizabeth glowing. But the energy breaks your flute, and you lose control of Songbird, and it comes flying directly at you. You cry out that Songbird's coming, and Elizabeth calmly says, no, he's not. She waves her hand, and the three of you are no longer on the hand of the prophet. You're looking through a large window, and beyond that window is water like in an aquarium. Songbird is on the outside of the window, and you two are on the inside. Songbird swims up to the window and grasps at its chest. Elizabeth says, Shh, it's all right. Just let go. Hmm. And you watch as Songbird's eyes shatter, and it twitches and convulses and dies, finally floating into the depths below. Fuck yeah. As Songbird drifts away, we can see An underwater city behind him. (laughs) With tunnels connecting buildings. And the song, Somewhere Beyond the Sea, starts playing from an old record player. You look around, and anyone who's familiar with the series knows, we're now in rapture.
1: We're in rapture now. (laughs) This is such a good feeling moment because oh. they were like we are not underwater we are taking <laughs> to the sky we are with the birds like they they the big emphasis was that this isn't your mama's bioshock kind right of shit and for them to come back and also be bewildered
0: <laughs> yeah oh, it's and it's so good it's one of the things ken levine said about this game is like it's not bioshock but it'd be disingenuous not to call it bioshock
1: yeah <laughs> Ugh, it feels so good to be back in Rapture.
0: Right. It's the same room where you got your first plasmid in the first game. Mm. and has that neon sign pointing towards a gatherer's garden. Elizabeth says, this is just a doorway, one of many, and to follow her. You ask, is this where she lost her finger or something? (laughs) She keeps leading you, and she takes you to the bathysphere that brought you to Rapture in the first game. Well, brought Jack there. Yeah. The two of you board it and flip the switch, activating the bathysphere. You go into the water and head out of the building you're in. You even hear the classic Bioshock theme music that introduced you to Rapture the first time you start playing.
1: Oh, it's so good.
0: You get the epic, grand reveal of Rapture, and go, the city at the bottom of the ocean? That's ridiculous. (laughs) Just completely unfazed by everything you're seeing. I love that. (laughs) The bathysphere rises up, and the two of you leave Rapture behind. At least for now. Check out our Patreon episode that covers the DLC if you want to return to Rapture with Booker and Elizabeth. Yay. The bath sphere pops up out of the water at the base of a giant lighthouse. Elizabeth looks up in the sky and says that the lights in the sky aren't stars, but millions of doors all opening at once just for her. You get out at the base of the lighthouse and go to the door, which is locked. suddenly, a key appears in Elizabeth's hand. She says that it was always there. She just didn't see it until now. The door opens, and as you walk through, it's like you're exiting another lighthouse because you're still outdoors in the middle of the ocean. Oh, This time, though, there are a bunch of other lighthouses nearby. She says these are the doorways of choices. They lead to every different universe, all of them different and yet all of them similar. Infinite choices, creating infinite universes. Now all you have to do is choose which door to enter. But even among those differences, there's some constants that never change. There's always a lighthouse. There's always a man. There's always a city. The rest are just variations on those constants. There's water between each of these lighthouses, but as you head toward them, ground lifts up out of the water and you can run along this path to the different lighthouses. You go through one, and when you come out, you're in a new ocean of lighthouses. And these are all designed very differently. They're shorter, made of different material, and their docks aren't made of stone, they're made of wood. Through one, across the way, you can see yourselves, coming out of another lighthouse. Infinite choices. Infinite possibilities. The versions of yourselves you see across the way just picked a different lighthouse to go through. But again, there are constants. Choices you will always make. They happen because they always happen. It's just the way of the universe.
1: In Spider-Verse, this is called a canon event.
0: Yeah. Here, choices don't matter. Every choice you make takes you to the same point in time. This point in time. Choices don't matter. Like the choices you made earlier. The bird or the cage. Heads or tails. Throw the ball or don't. Kill Slate or spare him. None of it matters. Regardless of what you choose, you will always end up here one way or another. And this is another perfect Bioshock moment, because once again, they're questioning the role of the gamer and their part in all of this. We're constantly given the illusion of choice in games, but at the end of the day, you will always get to the same conclusion. I'll play the game differently from the way you'll play the game, but we'll all get the same ending. Maybe a slight variation on that ending, but for the most part, it's the same. And because at least at that time, it was very rare to have games that go in wildly different directions, like a Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah. But it also might be a bit of a commentary, too, on the influence the first Bioshock had on the video game industry as a whole. (laughs) So many games had the same constants as Bioshock, and copy-pasted the formula to to great success of their own. Right. Which led to us creating the Bioshock, even.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) we're we're complicit in this regardless. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But you say no. Nothing is predetermined. You're in control of your own destiny. Elizabeth says to look around. You don't control shit. You've already done this, and you will continue to do this every time. It's one of the constants. You run along to another lighthouse, and you can choose any lighthouse you want. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. None of your choices do. You enter the lighthouse, and you come out to a beautiful scene. There's people standing in shin-deep water in a clearing. It's a very welcoming nature scene. There's angelic voices singing a hymn and a preacher quietly praying in the center of a group of people. You say you know this place. You were here right after the Battle of Wounded Knee about 20 years ago. Oh, shit. Elizabeth asks you, what happened here? The preacher suddenly starts speaking, and he offers you the chance at a new life, at a clean soul. Baptism. You refuse the offer, and Elizabeth says, But you didn't actually say no, did you? You go to accept the baptism, and just before he dunks you, you freak out and say, No, stop, I can't do this. Everyone except you and Elizabeth vanishes, and she says, You couldn't go through with it. Why not? You tell her that a dunk in the water isn't going to forgive the things that you've done, it's not going to bring all those lives back. You demand she opens a tear to Paris, anywhere. Just leave all this behind. Run away. But she says no. We need to find Comstock. He was here on that same day, too. There's a door nearby and you go through it, and you enter your private eye office. Robert Lutes is there, saying, Bring us the girl and wipe away the debt. But this time, it's the real memory. Robert Lutes was the person who hired you to find Elizabeth. Mm. She asks, are you sure about that? And you can hear music coming from the other door in the office, the one that's usually locked. You open it, and there's a bassinet in the room. You go to it and see a baby. You say, no, there's never a baby in this transaction. What's going on?
1: Why do I have a fucking baby?
0: You turn around, and Lutece is right behind you, mm-hmm. stopping you from being able to leave the nursery. Elizabeth says to hurry it up. You can't leave this room until you give him the baby. Or take your time. It doesn't matter. Eventually, you're going to give the baby to Robert. It's one of the constants. You hand the baby over to Robert Lutes, And he says that the debt is now paid. And Mr. Comstock washes away all of your sins. Mm. He turns around and closes the door behind him, leaving you in the nursery with Elizabeth. When you open the door, you find yourself back in the rowboat from the start of the game. Only this time, Elizabeth is with you. You tell her, there was no baby. The whole bring us the girl, wipe away the debt thing was about Elizabeth, not some baby. Elizabeth goes, Booker, your nose is bleeding. You dock at the same spot as before and get out. You ask Elizabeth, what does it matter? Comstock is dead. She says he's only dead in one universe, but he's alive in millions upon millions of others. The only way to stop this is to make sure Comstock never even lived in the first place. You climb the steps of the lighthouse once again. You open the door and find yourself in an alley. Down a ways, you see Comstock holding the baby. Robert Lutes is there with him, and they're looking through a glowing hole in the wall. Elizabeth is there too, standing behind them, just watching the scene play out. You see them all and shout out that the deal is off, And to give the girl back. They see you coming and begin to panic. The hole in the wall is a portal, and Rosalind can be seen on the other side. She says the portal's stable, but won't be much longer, and tells them to come through. Robert goes in, and then Comstock. You grab at the baby as he steps through, and the two of you play tug-of-war with her body. Mm -hmm. Comstock shouts out to shut down the machine, and you watch the portal close in slow motion, as the baby reaches out for you. The portal closes around the baby's pinky finger, leaving only it behind, and it falls to the ground, spraying blood as it does. You cry out, Anna, no! I'm so sorry, Anna. You're back in your office, and you run to her room. But Elizabeth says, it's over. She's gone. You put your hand on the door, and see the letters, A.D., on the back of your hand, for Anna DeWitt.
1: Oh, fuck you. That's so good.
0: You spent the next 20 years pissing your life away, until one day, a portal opened in your office, and Robert lutess was there, offering you a way out. You stepped through, and your memories started to blend and bleed. You created a story in your own mind, where you were hired to find Elizabeth taking that initial deal and turning it into a new one. Bring us the girl and wipe away the debt. The has brought you here because that's one of the Constants. They always bring you here to start this whole process of trying to set the universe straight. They never forgave Comstock for trying to kill them and have been fighting against him ever since. Good. You go through the nursery door and you come out to the rowboat. Back at the start of the game, once again, with Elizabeth along for the ride. You say that you're a terrible person, because you sold Elizabeth to Comstock. Rosalind pipes up going, to your credit, you did try to weasel out of the deal.
1: (laughs) She really popped her head up and was like, well, you were a bitch about it.
0: (laughs) You say that you have to go back and kill Comstock before all this happened.
1: When he was a baby.
0: But Robert says, that doesn't work. there's too many moving parts, you have no way of knowing how far back you'd have to go. So you say, fine, you'll have to go back to the day Comstock was born and smother the son of a bitch.
1: Yeah, kill the baby.
0: You go to the lighthouse door, and Elizabeth asks, are you sure that's how you want to do this? You tell her, yes, it's the only way. You open the door, and you're back with the preacher in that nature area standing in shin-deep water. He again asks if you're ready to be baptized. You turn to Elizabeth and ask, what the hell? She was supposed to take you back to the day Comstock was born.
1: Where's the fucking baby I want to kill?
0: Instead, she brought you back here. She says, it's not the same place. This is different. Then you say, wait, you're not my Elizabeth. And then another Elizabeth enters the scene. And another. And another. And another each one wearing a different outfit or with different hair, one covered in blood, one a little bit older. They say this is the moment where everything splits. A choice was made here. In one, you refused to be baptized. In the other, you accepted it. By accepting the baptism, you were reborn a new man with a new name. The name, of Zachary Comstock. (gasps) You were Comstock the whole time.
1: You were Comstock the whole time!
0: This is the day Comstock was born. The day he accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. If you want to smother him in his crib, then you need to do it here and now. Taking out Booker and Comstock is the only way to prevent any of it from happening. One Elizabeth grabs your right arm and says, He's Zachary Comstock. Another grabs your other arm and says, He's Booker DeWitt. And you say, No, I'm both.
1: Ugh, a man with multitudes.
0: Then three of the Elizabeths push you back and down into the water.
1: He's a Gemini.
0: You struggle and watch bubbles leave your mouth as the world around you fades to black and a piano begins to play you out. The camera goes into a third-person view, watching the scene from above. We see each of the Elizabeths fade away with a stroke of the piano key, as they were never born in the first place, thanks to your sacrifice here today. Protecting the world from the violence and destruction of both Zachary Comstock and his lamb, Elizabeth. You come back, too, in your office, and you can hear music coming from the nursery. You say, Anna, is that you? And the screen cuts to black before you ever find out. <sighs> the end. Ah. And that was Bioshock Infinite. It
1: was Comstock the whole time. Oh, you
0: are Comstock the whole time.
1: I think I yelled that. You at did you a lot. When
0: I beat that game, you just started screaming it was Comstock the whole time. Just
1: spoiling Bioshock Infinite <laughs> haphazardly.
0: Yeah, so, oh my goodness, that ending is so fucking wild.
1: There are so many people I know that played this thinking that Booker and Elizabeth were going to fuck at some point, (laughs) and now it turned into old boy. Yeah, it definitely does. you know, you know.
0: um, No, to their credit, they do not have them flirt.
1: That's true. There is no tension. All the tension is fully made up in players' minds, but so many people have the universal experience of they're going to kiss right but maybe it's just heteronormative media being like man woman kiss yeah right <laughs> they are attractive and they're on an adventure at one point they will make out but man it gets real old boy real
0: fast <laughs> real fucking if, fast if that's it? the vibe you take <laughs> from it yeah oh my goodness i mean how did you feel about the game playing through it you said you go back and forth on it
1: first time i played it i was like this is the greatest game i've ever made yeah. um I've picked it up a couple I've played it maybe four to six times. Let's call it five times. Okay. The next time I played it, I was like, why the fuck am I fighting a ghost? And that took me out of it in fuck entirely. I
0: was <laughs> the like the ghost part, yeah.
1: I was like, shooting birds out of my hand, a hundred percent. Finding a ghost. Too much. I can't do I can't no. do it. I can't
0: I can't I just can't. You can't cross sci fi and paranormal. It's not they don't work together unless it's like Ghostbusters.
1: right and that's a very specific structure that does not have all this added thing i love the storytelling i love the atmosphere i love the art direction i love the music this is a great game on all accounts it's not a perfect game no because at one point you fight a fucking ghost and that truly is (laughs) that is my biggest issue i also it feels abrupt in terms of the ending of the aggressive gameplay yeah, it, Like, you're you're really ramping up, you're ramping up, you're ramping up. You have this long, huge ending fight on that big ship, and there's, like, the fucking George Washington robots <laughs> trying to kill you and all this yeah. shit. And it kind of goes from 60 to zero really quickly um, in terms of, like, your gameplay and, like, how involved you are in the narrative progressing. Very true. Uh, and it feels short uh, to a certain extent um, with air. But I guess kind of the first Bioshock did for me as well of, like, Break-fall day, break-fall day. oh it's just over we're just done we're in the bathosphere. okay um
0: even bioshock 2 and minerva's den do the same kind of thing like mm-hmm. the end of minerva's den is just a walking simulator at and the it, end
1: it's so sad yeah <laughs> real bummer uh, a yeah. real violent bummer there but i i do love the performances as well i think the performances are absolutely fantastic wonderful like, yeah it's so good, and I don't believe it's a mo-capped situation. I think it's mostly just voiceover, it purely. Is, yeah. Versus, like, Troy Baker had to, like, clock in at Naughty Dog and put on his fucking ball suit and shit.
0: Now, they did voiceover work together in the booth.
1: I love that. Yeah,
0: it wasn't like he recorded all his lines, she recorded all her lines. They were in the booth together.
1: There's a lot of games that are even skipping that to this point. Yeah. Uh, But their chemistry is fantastic. Oh, and it's wonderful. It's probably also why people were like, there's a vibe here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, he knows how to have good chemistry with people, though. Mm -hmm. You know, he has learned very well. Because a lot of times, like I said, he isn't playing against another person. Yeah. Sometimes he is just reading his lines, and he has to kind of create that for himself. So I'm sure that makes it a lot easier for him.
1: Fully, fully. No, but I I love this. I mean, I go back and forth where, like, I'll play it, I'll play it again, and go, what the fuck was that? And then be like, oh, but that's so much fun, let me play it again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love, love, love the mechanic of the skyhook. I think that's Mm -hmm. so much fucking fun and such a great way to explore different parts of the world it's not an open world game it's very linear yeah but particularly when you're in combat and there's different levels to combat being able to explore that and explore your different angles and how to get like when you're sniping and shit it's really really great i think that's so inventive and i haven't seen anything too similar to that combat effect no
0: not really since i would say maybe ratchet and clank a little bit they've got some rail surfing and stuff like that, but nothing compared to the Skyhook.
1: Yeah, there hasn't been anything like it in the last 10 years.
0: I think because it would just be too much of a copy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This is too iconic. You can't touch it. I love that Elizabeth hits him with a wrench. Uh, I know,
0: right? Such and, a good moment.
1: You know, maybe part of the concussion is feeding into the Lutesses. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of brain damage this boy goes through. And we really don't talk about CTE in video game characters enough.
0: No, and honestly, <laughs> after going through this, I was like, man, Booker's kind of dumb. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like I said, he's not a book smart man. No, he's not. He's a great shot. He
0: has <laughs> so many
1: other things he brings to the table. Bad father, uh, but a good... Helper.
0: Yeah. And like every time they're trying to explain the science behind everything, he's just like, I don't understand any of
1: it. He's like, I'm <laughs> good for you, man. Let's you're just the, keep going. You're a science guy. That's cool. I'd like to shoot a bird out of my hand.
0: I would say my biggest like nitpick with it is just that one section where we're jumping through universes with the Vox Populi and the mm-hmm. weapons and stuff. That part gets very confusing because like by the end, we're in a third universe that had nothing to do with the first one we were in.
1: Yeah, and it's not necessarily a multiverse situation of hopping through a door. It almost feels more like an Inception situation of, like, I'm tearing into inside of this and, like, unraveling the onion in a way. uh, Which, kind of, you have to really think about it. (laughs) Kind of plot it out in your head.
0: Definitely. And you can see kind of those... uh... Threads of Ken Levine kind of being like, "Ah, oh, but this is a really good idea. So we should do it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did Troy Baker voice Comstock and Booker?
0: He did not. Oh, which I thought was very missed opportunity.
1: That's a good red herring, though.
0: Yeah, uh. especially because actually, if you'd seen like the credits and stuff ahead of time, you might have pieced the whole thing together.
1: Yeah, like, it could have been spoiled on IMDb. Yeah, very easily. But I can appreciate that they were like, these are different characters, but they do come from the same truth.
0: Yeah, and Comstock sounds like Jeff Bridges. Oh! Yeah, he's got a very Jeff Bridges-like dictation. Hey, hey, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff Bridges would have actually been great for Comstock.
1: (laughs) This this bird really ties the room together, Yeah.
0: Uh, well, Goombas, if you enjoyed that, make sure that if you're not already, like and subscribe to us.
1: Yes, please. We are coming back in February with weekly episodes. I will be starting us off with a fun horror cult classic.
0: Yes, you will be.
1: That I cannot stop talking about to the point where Tom is going to make me put a dollar in a jar every time I bring it up.
0: Oh my goodness, it has been nonstop this for months at this point for us.
1: It's been great. <laughs>
0: and that's just one of the games.
1: I actually think I revealed it secretly on our Patreon in yeah. a blog, which is not behind a paywall. So if you feel like going on a scavenger hunt, Maybe you're bored and it's Christmas break. Go for it. You can check out our website, theothercastlepodcast.com.
0: That's theothercastlepodcast.com. Which
1: links out to our Patreon. Again, $2 a month. There's a free trial on there. And there are some posts that are not behind a paywall if you just want to hang out with us. Sometimes I'm like, hey, what's up, guys?
0: Yeah, we do plenty of stuff for free.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I'll do a lot for free, honey.
0: (laughs) Speaking of Patreons, we just want to say thank you to the Patreons that make this show possible. We've got Paul, Omar, Aaron.
1: Cyrus, Molly. Carisha,
0: Molly Mock, Jackie and Ellen. Thank you so much.
1: Yes, thank you. I hope you had a wonderful happy holidays and we will see you back in February with new main episodes but again, there will be some Patreon ones as well including the DLC for Bioshock Infinite which should be going up very soon.
0: Very soon indeed, yes. We're going to be doing the Berry Let's See DLC.
1: And something else fun in January but just to tie you over until then.
0: Yes, thank you so much. Come join us on our Discord as well. We are doing conversations on there all the time.
1: It's also a meme dump, so yeah. <laughs> like, it's been very fun. But otherwise, thank you very much. I hope you had a wonderful time with this surprise episode as we went up in the clouds to Colombia and oh. uh, stayed nice and high for that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, Goombas. Until next time. This is Tom and Andrea reminding you.
1: Trust a man who falls through your fucking ceiling.
0: <laughs> and don't skip the cutscenes. Bye. A circle. Be unbroken by and by by and by is a better home away. In the sky In The sky